A man become preeminent, he's expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast, everyone. This is Rob D, the Dead Pull Hitter. You can always catch me on Twitter at Dead Pull Hitter and head over to the Pull Hitter Patreon. If you're not a part of it yet, come join it. I'm going to get into more details about that soon. But with the off season in full effect right now, we have the postseason going on. Just going to give you guys a reminder that I'm not going anywhere. The Pull Hitter Podcast still always remains the off season pod to listen to if you want to fill in the time with baseball knowledge. We're going to be here for you doing what we do every single offseason, bringing in the top earners on the NFBC, the top analysts in the game, the top players in fantasy baseball, get into their minds, get into their process, look at the result, look back, look forward. We're going to look into format, what worked, roster build, everything. Um, how the MLB environment affected fantasy leagues as well. All that good stuff that we bring every offseason will still be here this offseason. We're not going to rest this is not the place that turns over into NF, um, fantasy f- football. You won't find that here. This is going to be baseball all the time. So if you have that thirst for fantasy baseball all year round, we're going to bring it for you. If you get involved with draft and hold in the offseason, we're going to bring knowledge for that and try to do our best to give you resources to make your draft as best as it can go. And um, for the pull hitter Patreon as well, if anyone's not familiar with it, you can get involved for a week to try and come and check it out. In about a week from now, I will be starting um, deep dives into one player, one batter and one pitcher per day. And that will be an article form and podcast form. So plenty of content will be there. I'm going to get into previews of the positions, depth charts of teams, insights into draft champions, formats, gladiators. So much stuff is available. We're going to have several different formats, um, tiers that you can get involved with too. Um, If you want next level experience, you know, the tiers will be higher for that. But the $5 entry will get you in, get you the two other launch angles that we're going to be doing in the postseason as well. Once, I mean, in the offseason as well, once we get into the swing of things, um, you'll get those two on top of all the breakdowns I do. And just going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys come check it out. Everyone from the Pull Hitter Patreon this year earned over $1.8 million in NFBC earnings. 
and you can have access and chat with everyone in the Discord once you sign up. Again, I'll repeat that, $1.8 million of earnings from everyone in my Pohero Patreon. So there's a lot of bright minds in there, and not only people winning high-stakes leagues, but people who have tried NPC for the first time, who have gotten into main event qualifiers, qualified for main events in their first shot. We have people who've been in the NFBC for two or three seasons, haven't won the NFC haven't won a main event qualifier who've won it this year them sharing those stories with me is super makes me feel so great um that we have really something special here so it's a place for knowledge it's a place where we're all sharing knowledge and talking about high level fantasy baseball stuff and if you want to get a part part of it come check it out again it's, it's just um a great resource and not just from what I'm bringing but from what everyone else shares as well it's just really awesome the discord is just the best chat we had a chat yesterday on how to best you know handle your NFBC winnings through taxes and IRS we have several CPAs in there and it's just amazing amazing stuff so anyway just come check it out um, and again this off-season content will be a lot through the public side here We'll just interview guests like today, Brian Slack, Dylan White, the NFPC main event winners. We're going to keep going with all the guests that we always bring on and as well as the content on the Patreon. So I hope you guys come in for the ride this offseason and, and we'll get on our way to Fantasy Expect for 2024 right now. Welcome back to the Pull Hitter Podcast, your actionable source for making moves in fantasy baseball and winning. And we got the winners here tonight. I'm Rob D. I'm here with Mr. Brian Slack and Dylan White, your 2023 main event overall champions. What is up, fellas? What is up, Rob? Nothing. Yo, yo. Yo, yo. <laughs> yo, yo. I mean, did you guys do a Yahoo shower or is it, did you pop champagne? What'd you do? Did you scream? I had to take the trash out. I got. I, I drove back from the Bay Area, and like the first thing was like, "Hey, can you help me with like some mulch on like the little side oh. of our house?" So I had to help with some mulch. Oh, I had to wow. take the trash bins out. Uh, my daughter wanted Jamba Juice. I was like trying to respond to texts or tweets and stuff. People were like, "Congratulations!" I was like, "I'm getting yelled at," you know, because I'm definitely that that guy in the relationship. And just like, I got to get the Jamba Juice. I got to make these things happen. So it was it was a not quite the parade and, and ceremony that I had envisioned, but it was a uh, you know, we're getting there. We're getting there. I uh, I had COVID run through my parents the week before the final week, and then my partner has it, and I have been fighting it off. So I didn't have anyone to share it with, like when the final pitch was thrown. Um, so it's been a weird kind of surreal uh, last week, anyway. But I think it would have been anyway if I had everyone beside me and I had I rented out a banquet hall or something. It still would have been weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh man well seriously congratulations awesome awesome feat um i i didn't have a great last day of of, of fantasy baseball i watched the draft champions overall lead in in one day michael striker scored 580 points on sunday and 1100 for the week um and it was pretty crazy i mean i didn't think i was like Oh, I won, but I was like, I feel good about this. Um, and I was at a music festival, had no cell service, and I turned on um, the NFPC app, and I was trying to refresh it for about three hours. And then when it finally did at 5 p.m., I saw things that I uh, were not expecting to see. So um, 
pretty quick change of emotion that I was going through from enjoying live music with my wife to just feeling this sudden burst of anger. (laughs) (laughs) And dude, like I lost the main event on the last day. I I, I led for about at least 90% of the days after the all-star break. And uh, John Posma passed me on the last day, gained four strikeout points. I did not get a start from Blake Snell that day. I lost another start during the week and expected multiple um, relief performances. I was expecting from Louis Varland and um, a couple other dudes. They only went once, and uh, I just felt terrible. I feel like I mismanaged it, and that's what I'm most mad about. But, um, you know, that's life. That's life. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen it all. I've seen all the text. It's okay. Fantasy's hard and this and that. And I, I love everyone for reaching out and telling me those things, but it didn't make me feel any better. Um, but you know, okay. So let's get into this. Let's talk about your team. Let's talk about your path to here. Let's start right from the beginning first. You know, how did you guys get together and then, you know, and decide that I want to be partners with this dude. Um, I'm sure it has to be something stemming from the fact that you guys just have been sharing the top of our dynasty league for the last 19,000 years and just probably DM'd each other or texted each other for years saying, ha ha ha, look at these free holes. They'll never catch us. And it just developed into, oh, let's do a main event together. But I'm just, you know, I'm just guessing there. But um, so tell me about that. How'd it happen? Dylan, why don't you explain what happened? Uh, I'll start from the beginning. So we met, I met Slack through that dynasty league you're talking about. RFD. Um, RFD, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, I guess two teams had fallen out and uh, Walter McMichael, the commissioner, was looking for to fill that up. And it ended up being me and this guy, Brian Slack. Never heard of him. This guy's probably... Hmm. A fresh meat. Um. <laughs> We're gonna take this guy to the cleaners. Exactly. That's Dylan's mind. That's his default mindset. He's like, oh, I'm gonna take this guy to the cleaners. Yeah. Exactly. Great default. Great default. And so, you know, the two of us were kind of responsible for doing the dispersal draft amongst ourselves whenever we're ready. And uh, you know, we had banter back and forth. And Brian's a funny guy, and we share similar dry humor. And the draft was really fun, and it kind of got me into the uh, into the mood. And so we were kind of like bonded in that league from the beginning because we were the new guys and we traded the most of anybody uh not really with each other but with like i say 90 percent of the trades in that league for at least for the first two years were either me trading or brian trading yep um he tanked the first year i don't know why i'm going into all this detail i love um, it i love it I'm i finished it. like third i think smada got second in the like the final week or something like that uh, toby won um and then the next year brian won and i finished second and then it's just been the two of us kind of battling it out with our teams and we're still like the most active players in in the in the league um and yeah i think i i hadn't played any nfbc like any like money nfbc at all and my sense my perception is brian thought i was um wasting time <laughs> with yeah. all the the detail and and research and analysis i do for like tgfbi or like my home leagues mm-hmm. and that i could maybe put it to better use um and possibly win some some money um so i felt it was like a pity ask Pretty and much, yeah. 
I, uh, yeah. So that's kind of how it started for me. I think um, I remember mostly from TGFBI, the one year that I did it and how, um, you know, how well you did. You were consistently up there in the overalls. And, you know, I think, I think like TGFBI gets, um, it gets some of the bad rap because you get a lot of high profile players um, that are well known and that just don't even try. And that's a lot of what soured me on it. But the guys at the top were always, you know, just know they were consistent real threats. You and Michael Richard, you guys parlayed that into doing real well in the main events as well. It's like, you know, I instantly noticed that <clears throat> you were going to be a player in it. And that's such a great point because of putting that, you know, this, your skill set to better use. Because one of the first times um, that I really, you know, started podcasting and um, it was early into it, but, you know, I had, I had Gecko on it, Mark Dribo, and he, he, he straight out told like, hey, everyone, like, I got good advice for you. Like, if you're really good at this and you consistently win, you know, if you spend a lot of time doing it, like time is money. So you might as well just try your hand in the NFBC and see how it worked out because that's where it's there's such good payout. And and that's such a good point that, that, that Brian made to you because I, th I think um, there's there's a lot of reluctancy at first uh, be between people just trying to get involved with it. And um, so I'm glad you ended up doing it because, um, you know, now you're now you got your foot in the door and, and you know, you get, you're inching your way into the Hall of Fame already. Um, <laughs> Brian, are you gonna make the Hall of Fame? I mean, are you gonna? Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, Not you true. are. You no, have no, to be. No, 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 you no, got to no. be like one of the next options. Um, in in my eyes, and and I know you said that you are you really going? Is you really your last year? You've you've now your, your retirement. Um, but you didn't do any, you know, like stadium tour farewells, like Miggy. I would have gave you um something that lured you back into your like prior addictions in life, you know, like the Oakland athletics did, um, you know, um, yeah. but how come you didn't do any, you know, farewell tours, you man, you, you would have got a lot of gifts. Yeah. I don't think people care. <laughs> I did not. They don't love me like that. They, uh, this is, uh, yeah, they, they do not, it's not Kobe. This is not Miggy. This is, uh, yeah, I'll be gone. It'll just be like kind of an afterthought. Be like, oh, that's right. I was in a league with that one guy once. Um, no way. You're never yes. going to be an afterthought. Every year we're going to be bringing up your name. Every day in the Discord, your name will come up. I am absolutely positive that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, man, this is it. This is it. Oh. I think that I told both of you yep. at the beginning of the year, I was like, uh, you know, you guys are, are more kind of have, have a little more insight in my life. And there's just been some some life events um, in, the, in the past couple of years that have kind of, you know, shaped uh, and kind of maybe pulled me in a different direction in terms of kind of, you know, what's on the other side of this? I mean, I, I, I love what, you know, fantasy baseball, most of my friends are in fantasy baseball. So it's going to be kind of a weird, like next chapter, but um, I've kind of felt this coming, you know, for a little while now, I uh, almost didn't play this year actually. And then I was like, December, Nick Sackett rolled into town. We went and had some lunch and then struck a, I don't know, it was an 11th hour deal. We struck an 11th hour deal. And then, so I signed up for like, you know, whatever it was like three mains and, and the diamond auction or something. So, um, you know, but that was it. No you know, it's hard to say no to Nick. He's a very good salesman. Yeah, he comes up. Yeah, he's just a, he's a very non-threatening, and then like he'll close with the best of them. So yeah, he he he's um, a stud. It's a stud. 
He's a stud. Yeah. That's just bottom line. Bottom line. <laughs> so, but yeah. So I was like, I was like, that's it. One last time. And I think there was, you know, because he kind of, you know, he kind of checked out a little bit at the end of last year. He had some things um, uh, going on that like the last, the last couple of months were my, by myself, you know, and I was like, I was fine with it. You know, I was definitely able to operate, you know, pretty well. But I was like, you know, I did miss that, that camaraderie portion of it. You know, like I do like to, you know, um, kind of have that shared experience of it. So um, but yeah, he just definitely, he definitely was not coming back, although he did show up to Vegas and we drafted together. But after mm -hmm. that, it was like, I'm going to do one more time, you know, pretty much just give it, a, you know, knowing it was my last time. And uh, yeah, that was it. I told you, I was like, bet all your money. Like I'm not coming back. So as this was kind of unfolding and like second, you know, started to, or, or worse, started to look like a real possibility in the last couple of weeks. I was like, uh oh, uh oh, um, even my wife, who was like totally supportive of everything, but then, you know, as, as things were kind of getting a little bit tight, she's like, you know, if you do this again next year, I was like, whoa, 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 what did you say? If, if I do this again next year. Um, so yeah, I just kind of had to, you know, kind of resign myself to like, no matter what happened, win, lose or draw, that uh, this would be the last. So it was uh, pretty crazy, pretty crazy. It worked out like that. That is pretty crazy that it works out that. Did, did you have any different mentality, like any different mindset? Did you have like a, almost like a, like a YOLO, like, um, are you referencing the Chris Bubich bids? Is that is that where you're going with this? Well, I mean, no. yeah, we could talk about the Bubich bids. But <laughs> no. play in general, yeah. was there anything down the stretch that was just different from what you did in the past? Because I know you were in the running in the past, but just like you know, it's my last year. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make aggressive moves, or uh, you know, I don't know. Is it teeter any way different than what you normally did? Uh, I'm not sure if it did tactically, but it did from the experience of it right like and this is one of the things i think about like you know when it comes to like being on on a team and like sharing that experience right it's really just like for the longest time i've only been interested in winning the main event right and like i don't want to like just like wake up and be the winner right i i want to like go through that experience of winning and pulling out like the best parts of me and the best like things i've learned and in, in the skill sets right and like employing everything and kind of having that experience. And so as I'm going through this, knowing it's my last time and right. And especially as, as, as Dylan and I were kind of climbing up the standings, I was like, I was appreciating the jump from 11 to eight, like regardless of whether we, how we finished at the end, like that jump and that day or, or series of days that we were climbing was exhilarating. And I was like, this is that feeling that I'm, you know, I know it was like going to be the last time I had it. I was like, I just wanted to have that experience and enjoy it. So I was able to, more than any other year, like just enjoy, like pinpoint what was exciting and like what I was valuing, you know, because this is like ultimately just going to be an experience in my life that, you know, I'll look back on. Right. And so, you know, we kind of decide what, you know, for our own lives is, is valuable or not. And and this was was valuable to me. So, um, yeah, kind of having that. I mean, it might sound cheesy as I said, after I go through all that. But like, I think that was uh, yeah, definitely true. I mean, Brian, Brian said really early on in the season that it was the the overall like forget the league we're just going to try to win the overall um and so having that kind of that uh that focus kind of sharpened what the 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 goal was what the target was he also said many times maybe around the all-star break starting with the all-star break how like enjoy this let's have some fucking fun with this this is that's cool this is going to be an experience that's like roll with the high times and you know the the, the low times are going to suck but uh this is a whole journey this is going to be fun let's just make it fun so all that stuff he said that completely rang true to me 
That's great. That's a nice fucking pep talk. You, you're like, who do you consider yourself? Like, what kind of managerial pep talk is that? It's like a Bob Knight kind of. Uh, just, we're just gonna go for it. That's that's great. I mean, I would if I'm gonna play with someone, I want to hear those words too. Like, because it's just, I would just, just be amped up to hear that. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't have the the comp. I'm trying to even think of like the movie comp. I don't know. I did. I mean, I have pulled out the Al Pacino. Like, <laughs> this was less less uh, motivating, right? But like, uh, I mean, I, I love that we could just like just roll with these stories. But I I did, and I did this with Nick too. But like the the Al Pacino in Even Sunday years. speech, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I was like, yeah, you mean yeah. that that's that was more like motivational. I think the one that to me, you know, was that I was in him was the. There was a, a Kobe clip when he's getting interviewed by by Stephen A. Smith, and they're like, I think they had Steve Nash, and they weren't they were not doing very well at all. And he's like, uh, you know, yeah, you're not, you know, because we, you know, Dylan and I start off slow, and I was like, you know, we, we might not, the, you know, Kobe was saying, he's like, we might not be as good as we think we are, but we have to be, you know, determined but not discouraged, right? And like, hmm. we have to be like, you know, the the normal level of determination is not going to work. Like we got to like, you know, elevate our level of determination to kind of, you know, keep this energy, you know, going. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I think, I mean, you know, Rob, but like, I'm just like, if I have that positive, like kind of hungry mentality, like it's fun and enjoyable. If I have that more dread pessimistic, which is like very much in me, in my body, like it's, it's a kind of a miserable experience. So I, I try to have to, to really focus on the, the more positive part. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And you and you got, you know, and you mentioned like how much fun it is just bouncing up in the standings. You know, you guys really climbed your way up. Um, and Dylan, you re, you tweeted out, you know, how how far you guys came, um, you know, to win because in May you weren't doing so great. Um, <clears throat> and it's cool. I mean, I'm looking at the standings by weekend. Um, pretty impressed with how you guys just chipped away. Um at the lead and and then and then just into the overall it's just uh it's pretty tactical um you know just seeing that and that's it, it is such a cool feeling i i enjoy even the leagues i don't win if i went from like 11th to 6th um over the last two or three months you know i think all those little battles um they really get you better in in the long in the long run so um how did you guys feel at some point where it's just Maybe it wasn't looking so great. It's obviously you're still going, you know, you're still playing for it. But what, what happened? What was the turnaround? You can tell anyone. Yeah, you could, you could take it. You could take it. Um, it was pretty. It it wasn't great. I I had started poorly in a bunch of other leagues. I'm in like TGFBI, for example bunch of injuries a bunch of just like wacky stuff was happening that i just couldn't wrap my mind around and so um it just seemed like one of those years for me um and we mm. we i i keep i, I mentioned on other podcasts I, I keep a spreadsheet of the everyone's roster how much money they have left every monday i like update who the moves were i download the projections i have the standings in there just to kind of get a glimpse of what if the season if we had to be stuck with these rosters now how would we end up in the standings um, and we, we looked good. Like we looked like second or third projection wise. Like we we're, even though we were 10th in reality, like the, it still looked good, but it just like, I didn't believe it. Um, mm. so it was pretty dispiriting. Um, 
but I, we just kept climbing up. I don't know. I don't know what happened. We got Tristan Cassis back on that May 21st or whatever. And like that kind of started the climb. Like our guys started meeting their potential. Um, and yeah, just as we started climbing, as we got into the top 100, as we got into the top 50, it just was uh, exhilarating. <laughs> I think that's the, the adverb <laughs> we get using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, and I think, I think you bring up, excuse me something that's really um toby baffled crazy likes to talk about this a lot and um just that variance in play performance right and um just keeping like you said keeping a spreadsheet of rest of season projections and just having just to know what you're expecting from a player and trusting that as long as everything under the hood matches that as well um and sometimes it just happens, you know, first six weeks, maybe you just have those players that are hitting the lowest side of their projections. And then those next six weeks after that, everything starts to balance out and your team, you can just look at it and be like, oh yeah, you know, I picked up Christian Arroyo. He really, really boosted me these last two weeks. But really it was just all those other players that kind of came back to life where they should have been in the first six weeks. And I think, that's such a good thing that I have to remember. Um, and Toby does such a good job of reminding me of that. Um, you know, he, he really has such a good perspective on that that side of it. And I, I always remember that in my head. It's like, all right, well, that's true. Like these players have six guys here who might, you know, part of my core. And I know that everything looks good too. It's not like they're just playing terribly and you just have no faith it's like oh man all this stuff has to it should fall in line exit velocity's there and you know Babbitt, you know he's getting killed by that and you know it's going to balance out you just have a hard time trusting sometimes and you get into that mindset like oh shit i need to make something drastic but maybe you really don't maybe your team just got to get you know hot um but, yeah uh, I, I think i think that his his yeah his uh you know he was really focusing on the league at the time which which was was helpful but but seeing those like the mm-hmm. fact that we still projected, even though we were in 10th, uh, we still projected to do pretty well in the league. I think that like, I think that was comforting. That was comforting. And like, we knew it too. Like, I, I think that there were some guys, you know, Corey Seager was out early. Mookie Betts started slow. Uh, Blake Snell was another one who like, I, I was just, we were just waiting for the Blake Snell turnaround, you know? And I think that happened, you know, you could just see it. Like he's just walking everybody like in the first month. And then there, he has a couple starts where like he starts to find the zone and then he just starts to go and run. And then you just, you know, maybe it's, you know, selective memory, but you just know that he's done this before. Like once he kind of gets in that groove, it's going to be good. Um, especially at the end of last year, you know, second half of last year. So once he started to get there, I was like, that's pretty good. So um, yeah, those a couple guys just kind of rounding into form a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at your draft right now, and um, pretty pretty nice draft. I mean, how did you guys feel about what you got from Varsho at like you know third round pick forty five? I mean, tailed off, started losing that everyday PT, but I guess in the end, you know, I think a lot of people knocked down the catchers like, oh, I hate their strategy, picking them up at the top, and even with Ramuto even having a down year, he still put together a good solid. SGP, you know, at the end of the season. But I don't know. What do you feel about Farshow? How do you guys feel about what he did in this th- season? So for us in our lineup, he, he had 220 with 20 homers, 16 steals, 65 runs, and 61 RBI. I mean, I'm, I don't think we had him on our bench once. I think we just started him every week. So, of course. Yeah, um, 
you know, despite like me entertaining the idea down the stretch a little bit, there were some guys, uh, I was like, yeah, maybe we, we could do, you know, uh, what was it, Austin Wells and maybe even Shane Ling Lingaliers one time. Um, I, I think that, yeah, um, it was fine. It wasn't as bad. It, it's, it was, it was, didn't quite work out, but it also didn't hurt you. I mean, especially because we needed steals and, um, you know, some of the counting stats were pretty good and he started, you know, it, I mean, this was always in the range of outcomes, you know, this kind of lower end production, but he did start off. I want to say Dylan and I were talking about this, maybe like fourth or fifth and then hitting lead off at one point early in the season. Like, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Like when you try to project playing time, it's a little dynamic. Like, I don't think you can just take playing time as one input and production is another, like his production will kind of dictate the playing time. Right. So it's mm -hmm. like, he was batting lead off. And it's like, that could have really exploded. He could have been a smash pick, you know, and he ended up being kind of, you know, less than expected, but not terrible. I think. Yeah, he didn't crush us at all. It was a it was a position we didn't even have to think about every week, um, which is helpful for me because I can't have my mind on so many different things. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so like, it's, that's it's not have that's to worry invaluable. about it. Right, that's invaluable. Like, and the same thing with catchers and closers. I know, like, that's what when you spend it up at the top and the return is peace of mind. <laughs> Like you said, let me address everything else that I have to minus these things. It's just, you know, it's just an easier approach. I'm totally, I totally agree with that. So you've got Betts, Strider at the wheel. Um, that's, 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 that's nice. Corey Seager was a stud this season. Um, Doval, great. Snell, Musgrove was good while he was healthy. Ahmed Rosario, man, he's just... I have a lot of Ahmed Rosario and looking at, you know, um, how, how um, some of those guys fared, like based on how many stolen bases was thrust in the game. I feel like the Ahmed Rosario is who I loved the last couple of years. Um, I'm going to be not loving them this year. I don't know if you guys feel the same about a couple of those players. Like a Ahmed Rosario ish, you know, still solid, like, but um, the 280, 15 stone base guy, 20 stone base guy is is still good, but I don't think I'll be looking at them at that range as I was last year. Well, I yeah, mean, I'm go ahead, Dylan. Sorry, I was just gonna say, I mean, specifically, Ahmed Rosario definitely he's not gonna specifically, be I mean, <laughs> he's not gonna stop my job board. <laughs> Um, but like those kind of 15, 17, 15 homer, 17 RBI or 17 stolen base guys are like, yeah, they're kind of like no longer like a valuable asset um, in today's landscape. They're kind of like a liability almost right. um, uh. that, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see that that type of player, that that phylum of player kind of uh, lowering in ADPs. Yeah, especially because there were so many um, good options later on for steals and feel like if you can still kind of nail that in, in, in the 200 range where you can get guys like C.J. Abrams and um, Tovar and um, Stott, you know, and Kim, all those guys went after pick 220. And, um, I'm afraid they're going to get like, a little too, you know, bum-rushed up the ADP this this offseason. But um yeah, so I know you guys mentioned a projection. So what do you like to trust, Dylan? I know you're a big steamer guy. Do you incorporate anything else or are you just in-season, pre-season, are you just using one projection system? Uh, I, I I use mostly bad X, actually. Oh, bad X, okay. Um, 
but I don't know if I'm going to because he didn't update them as as uh, like daily, and I kind of like to see it daily just to kind of get the feel of the flow, like reading the tape on, on, on the stock market. Um, and I wasn't <laughs> getting that, especially when football comes along. As it as it gets closer, you get less updates, right? <laughs> exactly. It was, so it was like I, I downloaded on Tuesday and then on, on Friday, and it's like the same stats. Um, so I switched. <laughs> no way can this be the same. <laughs> So I switched back over to steamer uh, by the end. Um, but I mean, I have my own thing where I like, I take like exit velocity and stuff like that and create my own kind of metric. And um, I update that every Sunday, like before Sunday, so that when uh, Brian and I are kind of like deciding between two players, I, I'll just say, well, this is a 112 on my sheet and uh, blah, blah, blah is only an 88. So like, let's go with the 112 guy. Um, right. So I, I still use projections a lot. I mean, we stuck with Ahmed Rosario probably longer than Brian wanted because his projections were were consistently good. Benintendi, Mitch mm. Hanniger, Gene yeah. Segura. Like, I'm sure Brian wanted to cut those guys weeks before we actually did, and I kept kind of like, no, 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 no. I mean, it's just starting off slow. And like, you remember Goldie a couple of years ago where he started off slow? Like, stick with them. Trust me, it'll all kind of regress back, and uh, kind of never did. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, projection is a big part of my part, my game. Um, obviously, part of Brian's too. I don't want to speak for him, but uh, you know, he's got a good feel too. He's got a good feel for how how playing time is going, and uh, that's something the projections obviously aren't that great at, or that you have to override if you see something um, going on in real life. Um, the projections don't know that they're uh, they don't know what's going on in managers. They don't know what the beat writers are saying. They don't have AI reading the uh, the tweets to figure out what the the sentiment seems to be um and brian's really good at that brian is the ai sentiment uh it was a great idea i don't know if you just came up and on, on the top oh, off the top yeah. and i was like that's a really good idea you gotta start getting this going <laughs> oh, idea. new frontier i'm ha happy i'm getting out at the right time my uh that's a, that's a great balance though i mean i mean you have to have your you have to be on the pulse with that it because it goes hand in hand you know you're gonna miss things um if you don't pay too much attention, it's just so much out there, you know. And then it's, it's a lot of the beat writers fucking checked out the last two, three weeks. Holy shit! I mean, we weren't getting updates for for days on players, you know, pitching rotations. What the fuck are they doing? You know, it's like screaming, like, "What are you guys doing?" And like four different sources have four different starting pitchers for you know for Thursday, and you're like, "What is what's going on?" Like, who, who's pitching mm -hmm. today? And obviously, you know, you can go and 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 track it yourself too. And, but you know, it's just, you know, you like to see it somewhere too. just be like confirming what you have, <laughs> you know, um, that's super frustrating, but, um, yeah, I think with the projections, you know, um, it's, it's a big part of my game too. And I think in, in season, um, this year I was questioning, not it more like saying, Oh, I don't believe this, but more trusting my eyes when I say I don't believe it as much as they do, you know, and I think I, I think I won more than I lost in terms of moving on from a player or, you know, picking up a guy at the right time when maybe no one was looking at it because if they were, you know, my league mates are using projection too, they won't see it. Um, but I did more of that this year. And I think it was part of because of what I was doing for the Patreon, like just doing daily box scores and breaking down, you know, the really actionable players for NFBC, not your, you know, looking at what Mike Trout did every day, but it made me really 
um, the guys who are maybe not as concrete and in in a projection, so they're more volatile too. But um, even the veterans, I was just there's so many times where it's like, you know what? I just I know that it 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 got a good probability of getting back to what I thought it was, but I just don't see it. You know, like maybe you see something different with the you know with the with his swing and then you look and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, he, he twins his oblique and you just make, maybe this is real. Maybe all this new stuff is real and the projectors won't catch that. Um, so just things like that. I, I, I tried to be conscious of this year uh, because I, I found myself getting stuck with players for too long because I trusted it too much. Um, so, but that's just part of playing and part of, you know, getting a process for yourself too. And, and, um, I think that's one of the most most fun things I had this season was actually challenging the projections. Not like, like I said, not in saying this sucks, but just um, okay. Why is this happening now? You know, and is this player going to get back there? So it was a fun thing for me to do. I think I got pretty good at it this year, and hopefully, it's just not a fluke season. <laughs> it's like it's like how are you not picking up that Jake Irvin's throwing ninety six, bro? Hmm. Um, he won't have a one-seven whip. I promise. <laughs> His ball percentage has been thirty-two percent for the last three games. Anyway, getting in the getting knee deep there. But get back to your draft real quick, Dustin May. Um, that was you know obviously he he got hurt. But um, what was the pick there? Because you're already Strider, um, Snell, Musgrove. So is that like? a home run kind of pick like hey if this guy's just if may is really legit like we can this might put our staff over instead of going with someone maybe a little more safe yeah i, I think i have to take this one um this was this, <laughs> because because i actually there were only two points like uh, i don't talk about like maybe the, how, how we kind of laid out some of the the draft plan but like um Two points in particular that, that kind of I remembered as I look back at them. One was one was Seeger, and I think you know we kind of looked at um, you know it was between we were hoping that that Carroll was going to slip. He wasn't really my plan in previous drafts, but I was like I, I was like I like I like it. I you know um, especially because all the projections were down on him. But then you kind of start to kind of go through. He was a guy who was really on early in draft season, right? And then just loved everything as, from a prospect. And I think you know a little bit of that a little bit tepid with like the max ev right and like some of the the quality of contact stuff in september and i'm not gonna lie like it kind of slowed me down a little bit um and then but by the time it kind of rolled around he's still going third round but i was like hoping we could take him at the the three four turn here um he did not make it and then it was kind of if you're looking at the board you know seager was there simeon was there um lindor was also there and i remember it being kind of lindor and and seager were kind of one or the other um, I think, you know, Dylan kind of liked, you know, thought it was close, but maybe preferred Seager a little bit. So we went Seager there and the other one. So I only remember two things about the draft was that moment. And then the Dustin May pick who I liked, I didn't love, you know, I, I have a system where I'm like, I have certain guys I'm like in blue on my spreadsheet. I, I love them. I'll take, you know, take them in three or four or four or four drafts. Uh, and then guys I like, like, I'd like to, I would like to have one share of this guy, you know, mm -hmm. and this yep. was my last draft and I did not have Dustin May and he was in yellow and he's an injury risk and all those things. But uh, the other name that uh, Dylan kind of threw into the mix there was uh, Pablo Lopez. So it was between May and Lopez. And um, yeah, we ended up going with May there. So uh, you know what, like, 
Go ahead. They didn't need it. I mean, you guys had 96% of the pitching points. There were some days where I was talking to you about, about you know, some players, and I'm like, ah, you know, I'm not sure about the ratios. You're like, I can absorb a hit in that. And and I was like, whatever, dude. And I would look at him like, oh, I guess you can. He's like, yeah, you hung up on me. With, yeah. with your three... <laughs> <laughs> With your three five ERA when the you know thirty uh eightieth percentile was three eight three this year. Um I should just punch that stuff up today and it was pretty pretty cool looking at some of the trends. But I'm like, oh yeah, the pitching staff is uh it's just fine because I mean, you hit Zach Eflin right out of the park with the pick after May for starting pitchers. Then, of course, Matt, you know, has to – he was the part of any good winning team. It was good old Steven Matt. I mean, if you want to um, go back to, like, where, how the team kind of corrected, right? Like, there yeah. were the injuries and slow starts and, um, you know, maybe underperformance against, like, what a baseline projection should have been. But I would say – I don't know. I'm going to say half the battle, but it's obviously a lot less. Was just stopping putting Steven Matt in the lineup. I mean, that was like, if you just did that, you just saw, like, just saw the plus minus. I was like, dude, this guy, this is the, the key. It's all we needed to do was pull this guy. So, uh, yeah, we started him every single time. I've done that before, too, uh, especially the short season. I don't know if you remember, uh, you know, Robbie Ray kind of had the new pitching uh, motion and he sort up draft boards. And uh, that was a shorter season, but like, I rode him for like three or four weeks. And by the time you decide that you're off the ride, sometimes those guys have done so much damage. That it, it's it's kind of too late, you know. Maybe I'm I'm using a wrong example because it was a short season, but I think that the theory still applies. Like I've gone back and looked at like kind of compared my draft value, um, especially honestly after 2021 to uh, to Phil's teams. I went and looked at all Phil's teams. I was like, my draft value, yeah, his his was more, but it wasn't like staggeringly more. What happened was I just had these Stephen Matz types or you know, the hitting equivalent, right? The Tim Anderson type that I just rode till the wheels fell off. You know what I mean? And like, mm -hmm. you gotta, like, those guys do more damage than like, it's you, sometimes harder to quantify. You look up and you see kind of a, a really bad, like end of season line. You're like, no, that that was crippling for you. Like you should have been streaming and you could have done so much more with that that roster spot. So uh, mm -hmm. I'm off on a tangent here, but yeah, that was, yep, uh, that was, that was the, the Steven Matz experience. Gotta love the Stephen Matz experience. Once you commit, you you know you have to be involved for a little bit, and then like you said, you gotta know when to get off. But then I got off, and then we got right back on. I got back on too. I got, I got back, back on too. On. Hey, there's, there's no shame in this. Like you know, sometimes things change. Looks, guys figure it out. But I think sometimes just being like, you know, I still see glimmers of how it could work this week. Sometimes just being able to have the foresight to be like, you know what, I might miss a good start here. If he goes out and balls out great then i can start him next week but instead you just roll him out there and just take the punishment yeah so um yeah it's funny because he was one of those guys um me and modica on on our patreon pod we um you know talked we talked about one week i asked him you know hey you know you know when you lose a guy in fab that you really wanted or you or or some guy that you you, you faded in drafts or are kicking ass like do you wish ill will on this player because you lost out you know and um and it's like oh yeah of course and maddie wood dubbed it the woogie like from something about mary and um i swear to god like i was woogie and matt libertor to death i was like dude like just looking for ways to just dissect him and be like, he's not right for this rotation. It's Steven Matt who belongs back in. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. bad. It's such an un unhealthy relationship we develop with some, <laughs> with some of these players. But it's fun. You know, these are the stupid things that we remember playing this. You know, this is the stuff that gives us, obviously, because we're talking about it on the <laughs> fucking podcast. But mm -hmm. 
Um, big hits in round 19 and 20. Mitch, I mean, sorry, 2021, the, the Torque and the Lane Thomas. Um, those guys were just really consistent. Oh, yeah, Lane Thomas. I mean, what a, you know, you can't say like, oh, league winner, but he was a, a league, definitely a helper in the league winner department this year, without a doubt. What do you guys expect from him from this year? You think he, he didn't go too high for free liking? I mean, I think he's going to be like a top 100 player probably, right? Drafted? I'm sure he's going to go higher than than I yeah. would like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then I would like 100%. He, he did 25 home runs, 19 stolen bases for us, I just saw. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's a that's a Brian special, Lane Thomas. I, there are a couple times when I was like, yeah, let's not put Lane Thomas in. And then, of course, he was the guy that he was our, our rock in like the final month or so. Like just he's the one that's getting mm-hmm. the, the only home run of the day for us. So he's the one getting the only stolen base for us. He had um, a Monday to Thursday with two games, and 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 I was like, <laughs> I don't know who was hot. And I'm like, I don't know if I should bench him here. And luckily, I kept him in. You know, when he hit a homer, or like, or he just did something really well. I'm like, that felt good. Like to because those are obviously not optimal, you know. But this year, I think with all with so many platoons, there were so many more times where I did it. You know, we played the two player where I was always maybe looking to upgrade. I'm like, you know what, Lane Tom, like I can save this move. I can try to, you know. I trust Lane Thomas and it's, it's, I know it's not optimal and it uh, like math, it's not the best approach, but um, sometimes you just got to go with it. You know, you got to go with your guts game. I think and we like, had, we, we, we benched him that, 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 <laughs> you two, him that week. Same with Yandy. I think <laughs> by the end we, we had it kind of set up. Maybe I'm jumping forward, but uh, yeah. like our batting average was good and our runs were good. So we just wanted home runs and stolen bases. So we're just trying to maximize at bats even if it meant benching Andy, even if it meant benching Lane Thomas, it was just mm-hmm. like, let's just accumulate. We just accumulate, accumulate. So, yeah, we were cutthroat there on Lane Thomas in the those final weeks. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's that's true. You have a specific need. You're really just playing for, you know, I was just trying to get into the OC, um, you know, t- into the cash of the overall. And same thing. I was just. I can't believe I'm starting this player, but <laughs> mathematically gives me the best chance to get to where I got to, you know, um, like I don't want to sit like, yeah, I don't want to sit Lane Thomas or y- or Yandy or, um, you know, but you got to do it. Um, so um, let's see. And then, and then you guys, like, I'm guessing you ended your draft. I mean, you know, um, Clevenger, did you hold Clevenger all year or no? No, 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 we dropped, we dropped him pretty quickly. We dropped him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we dropped everybody pretty quickly. Everybody, I, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was excited about Suarez. Um, yeah, okay. Gritchett, Straw. Okay. We had Straw for a little bit, and I thought mm-hmm. with the because you could see the stolen bases happening pretty quickly, right? Right. Like yeah. that that jump, and I was like, oh yeah, he's going to be one of those guys. And then uh, that th- even if there's no homers there, like we're going to be happy that we have like that speed. And we probably we I think we were pretty good with him, you know, better than we were with Matt's. But at some point, it realized he realized like, hey, he's really just not even running as much. So, um, you know, we had uh, Gallegos, May. We're trying to get like another closer back there. And Alvarado, we were both very excited uh, as like that Philadelphia situation was kind of settling in in, in yeah. like the first month. Like it really looked like I know you know it's easy to kind of look back and say like it was Kimbrel was great and he was always going to be there, but. I honestly felt like he was that Alvarado was like the guy they wanted to go to. Um, I could be wrong, but like I've, that's how I felt. I was like, this is guy's going to be electric. And there were there were times where I think he was dropped in a couple leagues, you know, maybe somewhere in there. And like the the next week, the bids were in the triple digits, you know, like he was 
was definitely pretty uh, looking pretty good. And then he obviously got hurt and then just never quite got back to his uh, real form. So, yeah, that was a bummer when we lost him. But uh, the back 10, you know, I think we had Elias Diaz in the 22nd, but then the back, you know, seven or eight were all pretty much gone pretty quickly. Hmm. Yeah, I like that Alvarado call. I, I, I was, um, I didn't do good with any late spec picks, um, reliever wise. And I don't know if I'm going to, I've done it every year, just like take a couple shots. And I just think that I'm just going to try something different because I know those, those are highly turned over spots anyway, but, um, I'll take my shots elsewhere. <laughs> just get good clothes mm-hmm. at the top and just, uh, oh, because I, mean, I don't know. It's like, do you have a better shot of winning? Uh, you know, um, I don't know. Cause I think, I think the dynamics are going to change anyway. This, this draft season, I think that's something that we definitely talk about later on when we get to that. But, you know, it's, I don't know. Um, but Alvarado was a good call. I, I wasn't looking his way at all. I didn't have any of him. Um, I think I just didn't touch that bullpen at all the Phillies um I didn't know what would they what they were gonna do you know because then you're like because mm-hmm. then you hear it and you read into it everything you know like Thompson's this guy and this is the trend they do and like, ah, I don't want anyone then <laughs> yeah because it was like Gregory Soto was there and Sir yeah. Anthony Dominguez was there I think Soto being there uh gave us a little more confident like optimism that it could just be you know there was another lefty to go to for Alvarado to take the ninth. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was messy. I remember there were like four guys, you know, but we, we, so we had Duvall and then we had Sewell and he, his role was kind of not really locked down because right. there's Munoz there. And, um, and so I think we, uh, maybe I'm, I'm misremembering, but I think we wanted just sort of like coverage and we'll take a spec. So like the Gallegos, Trevor May, Jose Alvarado, like maybe one of these, Michael King, um, like one of these should hit and become a yeah. closer at least. Um, so it was kind of a volume play. That's, that's kind mm. of my recollection, um, or yeah. at least how I positioned it for myself of why I was behind it. Cause just to back up Sewell in case Sewell was only going to get, you know, 12, st- uh, 12 stolen, uh, stolen bases, 12 saves on the year that, you know, we had some coverage. We had at least one guy who ended up being the full-time closer. And, and that, yeah, well, well, Sewell, I mean, that's, um, he ended up being just a great, a great value at that, at that spot. Cause I think, you know, everyone was expecting like, Oh, I'll take 20 and then anything else is, is gravy. And then he, you know, he gets traded too. Sometimes that doesn't work out the way you want it to, because they go to a team where they're not, you know, he wasn't going to be the closer, but um, landing in a good spot um, that we just able to lock down game. So that's good that you didn't really, Instead, you got one catcher and two closers that you don't have to worry about every single week. It's pretty huge. Very, very huge. And then Michael King with the last pick ended up being fucking Cy Young in the last three, <laughs> last mm-hmm. six starts. Oh, my God. And and he, um, let's see. You, do I know where he went in, in a draft champions? I would love to know where he went. Tenth round? Ooh, look at you. Yo, look you're not ready for retirement. Look at this. What mode. am I doing? What am I <laughs> doing? This is a buy-in sign. This is bad. This is listen, bad. Listen, I'm just going to hire you to be like the, you know, to like, you know, throw out, you know, when it goes from draft champions to the main, I like, I'm just going to hire you to be like, hey, what's the expected ADP of these guys when it comes around? You know, I, I'll mm-hmm. trust that because you, you just, 
blindly nailed that. Um, mm. Jesus Christ. Did he go ahead of Rodon? He actually did. Um, <laughs> he actually did. Rodon went in the 11th. Interesting. He went ahead of Pavetta, Berrios, Javier, Jordan Montgomery, Taj Bradley, and then Carlos Rodon. Mm. Very interesting stuff. I can't wait to get like actually, you know, into the player stuff. When you know, I'm I'm looking at the formats right now. I'm kind of just looking at roster builds from all the winners and and looking at the new 80th, 90th percentile stuff. And once I get into the player stuff, I'll jump in. I'm doing that too early meatball draft. I'm not really gonna be prepared for that. I'm just gonna wing it kind of as as much as I can, just based off of you know some simple shit. Once I really dig in, I can't wait to see. I don't know. So cool. What a year to take. What a year to retire. Jesus. I love Christ. it. I love it. One oh thing I, I did, I did. It's too late. So I don't even know why I'm talking what about happened? this. But uh Derek Van Riper had this good hack, which was on like September 1st, downloading the uh end of season uh, the end of the uh, rest of season projections from like FedEx uh and Steamer, right? Because Steamer comes out early, but I would do it, I would download the BadX in September. And then do my own little like kind of pro rating type thing and then use those for the very early DCs, you know, because I think everybody's kind of using steamer. So I'd be like, oh, here, because you know, that's the first one that comes out. And then so you kind of see that gap between the bad X's is or is not high on this guy. And then, you know, conversely, who they're higher on than steamer. So uh, did some early drafting with that. So it was always a good hack. Uh, shout out to Eric for something I will never use again and something that nobody could use or like right now because the season's over. But next September, everybody. No, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, that's what I did too. I did that, and actually, it's uh, it was definitely a little bit of a of a TCF hack um, that mm. wasn't made public. But um, I was like, yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Um, and, and, and you know, like obviously, too, you just gotta double check there was uh, double check the PT just with that in general. Um, the PT on it sometimes is really crazy, but. Um, you know, there was still at some point in the season. I'm like, they still have Francisco Alvarez for like 76 plate appearances. What are you guys doing? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's playing mm -hmm. every day for the Mets, <laughs> and mm -hmm. he's good. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good approach. Oh, a little bit of um, the Steamer 600 update too. Maybe you know you could sprinkle that in if you want if if you're gonna use it. Um, yeah, I tried to keep everything from that from the last couple of weeks of the season. Um, but I don't label anything. I just, I just, you know, I gotta like actually Random get organized. Yeah, I gotta actually organize and save. I'm like, oh, on this date, I did this. So, um, just my brain works too fast sometimes, and then I, I'm like, shit, I should have done this earlier. But um, but um, all right. So, to the draft, did you guys have a approach in like mapping out, you know, x amount of rounds, um? And then also the approach to 80th, 90th percentiles. Did you did you play into that at all? Did you focus on a specific category more or less or straight balance? How many you like your approach all around there with those two things? Uh, I can start, but I think I'm going to have to hand it over to Brian because Brian really set up the big board. He had done all his, his mapping out for his other three drafts. Um, before this fourth one. So this, this team, the, the number one overall team was the last draft that he did. Um, so he had already kind of found the pockets where he wanted to get guys. He definitely wanted Eflin at that spot, things like that um, with his color coding. 
Uh, my role was just to you know fill up the queue as it was coming back around because he was doing his third draft at the same time as this draft. Um, <laughs> so he he was finding the pockets and finding where he wanted to get the value and where he wanted to get them and like where there's like a it seems like a gap in starting pitching for a while or this is where the hitting dries up so we should get another outfielder here. Um, he already had a kind of feel from his other two drafts of where that was and I was just along for the ride at that point. Um, I had a good kind of sense of the landscape, but he had already kind of like determined the strategy and where he was, you know, pretty determined of where he wanted to take his shots. Nice, nice. So you got the color coding master sheet. Um, I heard you say yellow earlier on. What are you, a, a, a red, yellow to green guy? Uh, yellow is, is like, blue is love, and then red is is do not draft. And then if there was no fill on the on the there's spreadsheet, there's no green. There's no green. Uh, mm -mm, no, what? it's the uh, easiest thing to do. It either traffic light, yeah, yeah. you know, tra like frame of reference, traffic light, or just go Italian flag. You know, that's the best way to go. Okay. Okay. I said the same thing, Rob. I was like, "What are the colors again? It's blue, good." Yeah, everybody oh, has a thank comment. you, Dylan. <laughs> everybody has a comment. What? Everybody has a comment. What? That's yeah. so difficult. I would like. Oh, but you know what? Maybe because I see like. That's probably like this crazy tactic you have, like some Kobe like Zen where you're like you're forcing your brain to work harder at, at figuring that out. So you're just more in tune to everything else. I, I, I know how you work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because why else would you do that? That's amazing to me. Mm -hmm. What about what's the tone? Is it, is it the bright one or the like the no, they're, past, they're pastels? Yeah, I, I've actually pastels? Yeah, pastel pastel ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I posted it before, and yeah, Ryan Bloomfield uh, made some fun of me because of the pastel nature of it. But uh, hey, man, you got to find something that works and go with it. You know, I'm, I'm listen. I'm not going to complain. You just won the overall, so obviously your fucking yeah. big board color calling might be something that gets you know copied by 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 others. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, so Brian, you're the pocket guy. You're the uh, pocket evaluator. The, you know, nailing pockets. You're like a billiard player. So, what do you? How do you do that? What's what's your? You know, how do you identify that? Is it just from doing all the drafts, or you know, do you? Or is it also to a result? I guess in your later drafts of what you previously, you know, rostered. Are you diversification kind of guy, or you know. What do you got? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a meaty question. But I would say that, I'm yeah, I think – Well, there you have it. Um, I think for, like, like taking this particular team out of it, you know, like kind of focusing on, like, kind of the general process would be, like, going through the spreadsheet, right? I get – it's the big board. I get every position kind of just by ADP, right? You know, with a round that they go and all that stuff. And then I do the color coding. Like, I'll go through each position player by player. And then, like, if I'm just thinking that they're going to, you know uh, – you know, guy, I like, and it's super, uh, you know, maybe subjective, right? Like I'll, I'll obviously incorporate the projections when I'm like looking at the guy, but I'm not like in order to get the color coding, it doesn't mean you have a certain gap between the projections and like the ADP. Right. So I'll just be going through and kind of like, you know, each position. And then I will kind of say like, man, I really like Elias Diaz. Right. Like, I just think he's a, you know, maybe not gonna be a top 10 round pick, but like, I just think that he's going to exceed his draft cost like by quite a bit so he was in blue a guy that i was like really wanting to get so um you know i'm not gonna go through like all the positions but like varsha was in yellow um you know you had like i like riamuto in yellow i wasn't like super, I, I know the projections love salvi and i didn't love that you know so I was, like, he's in white he wasn't like a do not draft 
Adley, I was like, I wasn't feeling that too much. Um, let me try and think of a guy like maybe Kirk. I was maybe lower on, so I might have had him in red, you know, something like that. Anyway, this is all, you know, just off the top of my head. But <laughs> what happens is, is, is once you kind of go through that and you realize, like, okay, um, my my only yellows and blues in the catcher position were up high, or like Jonah Heim later, who I eventually kind of cooled on. But like Jonah, you know, there were a couple guys later, right? So I just knew that Kyle Raleigh wasn't a target. Gabriel Moreno wasn't a target. I did like Sean Murphy, but like there was kind of a top end and kind of a bottom end. And so like, I, you know, I wouldn't have minded. And part of me didn't want to get two good catchers because I wanted to have that uh, availability to get Diaz later. So that kind of like, you know, tells you a little bit of that. And then, um, you know, I think that goes for all the positions. Like you just say, man, the, the third baseman, I just don't feel great about them in whatever it is rounds four through 12, you know, and that's why, like, I know you and I talked, Rob, like Yandy was just really good. And Justin Turner was, was really good back there in terms of like two really nice, you know, guys that you can kind of expect to get in the 15, 16 range. So just kind of going through a number of drafts um, and especially coming off of like, once you go to Vegas and you experience, I had, you know, sat with Toby in two different auctions and then um, or three different auctions and then did a draft, you know, like once that happens, you're kind of just pretty familiar with like the overall prices for some of these guys. And you just kind of have a pretty good feel of you know where they're going to go and where you're, you're kind of comfortable. So um, and that all that said, like 15 is a tough spot and I don't like it. Like it's like you're just really at the whims of the guys, the the four, three or four guys in front of you that they don't take the, the guy you're hoping to fall. And um, I don't typically like it. I like usually, you know somewhere more kind of like in the four, five, 10, 11, 12, six, you know, range. I don't love the middle <laughs> either. Yeah. But like, I, th- I think I've told you this before, like I will definitely KDS number four, number five as my top two choices. And then I'll go like 11 because I, I think that like you're able to look to your, you know, on the board and kind of see what the teams in between, in, in between the turn, what they have. And you can kind of, you know, think through strategic choices, you know, whether to try to push a guy through or not, and then maybe get a guy that's going a little bit higher and, and that type of thing. So, yeah, anyway, long, that's a, a long winded explanation. That's, that's really just leading me back to all of those strategic things kind of go out the window. Sometimes when you're at 15, right. you're just like, man, I hope Beth and Strider make it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I used to like the middle and then it was you, Brian on, I think Rob's podcast where you explained to me why I had, bad success in the middle and what i do is i do like the adp what their value should be based on that adp and then i compare with what the projection value seems and then all those discrepancies are where the the values are so it's like yandy in the 13th is an incredible value but so does the guy if they're doing the same thing as me who's sitting beside me he's going to take yandy that that's that spot and so i'm going to get sniped but if you're at 15 or the back or the or or the other turn on the other side you see it all in front of you. You're not sniping. You can grab the guy eight picks ahead because you're still grabbing at value instead of getting sniped, if that makes any sense. So I kind of like the back. I know you had done your other three drafts were in the back as well, and you didn't want that. Um, but I don't mind in general, as a general rule of thumb, to be like on the wheel. Yeah, that's a great point because that's actually what I was going to, um, you know, ask you, Brian, and, 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 and then you just brought it up, Dylan, but like, you know what happens when you have these pockets and uh everyone else in that draft sees the pocket too and the pocket gets driven up you know 
it's hard to i guess you just have to on the fly know if you're if you're if you're going in you know or if you're hopping out and just saying f it you know i'm i'm not getting but involved with this it's, it's just like you forego like if you have if you have yandy as your target in in round 13 in this example yeah. you don't you're not taking third baseman for the first 12 rounds and then if you get sniped now you're screwed because yes. there's no third baseman and so it's like you're kind of putting yourself um at risk by doing this value thing that i had been doing and now i'm not so sure i'm going to do it anymore <laughs> yeah and that's also um you know something that i think i gotta get a little better at is something that you know andrew geller the girls talks about a lot and he's not afraid to you know keep taking a position of strength if, if it's the best player available it's something i don't really you know it it's hard to like um you know, do it perfectly. You know, you have to have your rest of your roster to, to to fall in line too. But it's something I think that maybe I shut my brain off to um, a lot. Maybe if it's outfielders or, or I got pitching depth, you know, and I, I'll need to go here. Um, sometimes maybe I'll just have a guy on my board that maybe I should have taken despite what I think may be a strength, you know. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, and I think going back to the Lindor thing, I think that was um... – I've done it before and I don't know why I didn't think about it kind of in that moment too, but I think that, you know, Lindor Seager was just as, as defensible. Probably we like those guys maybe a little better than Barsho, but kind of just went with more of a position focus. Like, okay, we get a catcher and we get a, you know, slower shortstop. But yeah. Maybe that would have uh, been open. So you got the baseball in your left hand. Do you like practice and pitch grips or do you just like to have, you know, yeah. what do you do with it? You, like you, you're, you're pitch grip guy, you feel the seams? Yeah, like a little uh, circle change, you know, stuff like what's that. Your, what's your best pitch? Uh, it's the fastball. It's the fastball? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Top seven, nice. like 70, mid-70s. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Mid-70s, that's pretty I'm just, solid. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. Oh, no, no. Oh, you I never did it? I what's your high stick? <laughs> it's my favorite metric uh, in the first, on the one hand. But no, no, I played uh, a long time ago, but not very good. <laughs> I threw when I was seven years old, and I have I have the certificate from at Cooperstown. I threw um threw thirty two. That was that was do documented, man, by by the pitch machine at Cooperstown. And then mm -hmm. it went all downhill from there. I think I peaked at about sixty two, maybe at the carnival uh, in Jersey. Um, the last time I threw, you know, the old carnival guns that are no way accurate. You throw your you throw your life away in your right arm. And you're like that was definitely seventy one, and it pops up and it's like fifty two. And you're like, no way, no way. <laughs> I hate those. I hated that carnival thing. I always tried to prove that the gun was wrong, and it's probably why I have terrible sure, labor and pliability right now. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, Brian, I think you should become like a fantasy coach, man. We think about that, just like. You know, like show people the way. You know, I think I think you got a nice yeah. post uh, time, like, like the career. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's uh it's so nuanced, man. You got like a couple things I think like people people could probably pick up on like podcasts, and then it's just a lot of like you know trial and error, and yeah, you know, kind of working your system a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think right. that. Go ahead, yeah. Let's get the fab ads. Please. I want to talk about some of just some rambling. of the moves, some of the moves in season. You mentioned Chris Bubich. That was exciting for you. Um, 188 in week three. I was I was in that boat too. He was the the only guy you guys spent 100 over 100 bucks on. Casas and 
Tommy Edmond at some point. Week 18, I guess, when he was dropped, you guys scooped him up. Um, but I like I like looking back at my moves, you know, on the year, and I'm like, I I always try to put myself in like, what was I thinking mode, you know? And I'm looking at yours, and I see the same thing already. I see Zach Plesak and Tony Kemp in week two, and um, probably like those those are the kind of things I look back and I'm like, why did I pick these guys up? Plesak <laughs> had the two step. And he the did. bad X had him at like the number five pitcher or something like that. <laughs> he did, he did. <laughs> and that was one of the one of the first things that we were talking about earlier, challenging a projection. That was one of the first things I was like, nah, not doing it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, so Chris Bubich, um runner up was 127. So you guys paid up a lot. Um I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah, runner-up was 27. 27, yeah. Yeah, 188 to 27. 188 yeah. to 27. And um on like week two, right? Yeah. Yeah, week week yeah. three, Bubit. And you mm. drop Mr. Plesak. Um, but that's you know, I don't know. I was in on Bubic too. It looked great. Um, it's definitely one of the ones where I look back in the last two, three weeks of the season. Well, I'm like, man, I would have loved to add about 30 more bucks right now. Or never mind, you know, a hundred. <laughs> I went up to it too, man. I was I was there with you also at that. But um, you know, in terms of like best fab ads or such, I see like Kerry Carpenter here in week five. Can we talk about Chris Bubich? Can we talk about Chris Bubich? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to yeah. Chris Bubich. Yeah, yeah, go, I, go, go preach. I think um, it was such an interesting time this mm, year. Like with the, the right. you know, the the stuff plus models was like all the, the rage in spring, right? And I was using that a lot, like in breaking down my pictures, you know? Um, and you see him come out. And he has these like really, you know, kind of shoots up. And and I think Dylan made this point, you know, <laughs> uh, stuff that like Cole Reagans had done, right? Like, I mean, in, in terms of like what he was doing, and it's not just like stuff, stuff numbers, there was a velocity increase. And there was, I think the, the game against the Giants, he had like a, like a 62% zone percentage and a 41% O swing or something like it was like crazy, like good numbers that we, like we would traditionally rely on zone contact, zone contact. Thank you. I'm just, whatever I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, this is, looks like a guy that, you know, very much like Lucas Giolito and, and to an extent, Kyle, Wright. These guys were the worst pitchers in the league the year before they come up. And then they just completely, you know, um, you know, ball out. And I was like, this could be that guy. And I had that really strong hunch that it was. And Everybody's going to look back, including me, and be like, well, that was a wasted $188. And I could have had him for $28, you know, so at least a wasted $160. But like, and and look, I'm not, I am defending it. I mean, he got hurt. Like, I, I think it's just so easy to look back and be like, that was a bad pick and you sucked. Like, he had like Tommy John surgery a week later and he actually managed through like a very tough Braves lineup shortly after that. It was, the mistake from my end was I had four teams, got them on all four teams right around $200. The, uh, the, the fab diversification. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I, and I'd heard the lesson too, right. That, that you had talked about and, and I, with uh, Pascantino. Pascantino. Yeah. That's and so true. I was like, I, I knew that it was running through my head, but I was also like this team, you know, we talked about why did you do Dustin May? This one actually had Dustin May, uh, I guess Musgrove as the SP three. Whereas mm -hmm. a lot of my other ones, 
I had, and, and so S, and F1 was the SP5 in this one. A lot of my F1 was like the four or sometimes even three. Like, like so my pitching was kind of thin in the middle. So I was like, I didn't do a, a good enough job drafting like that really pitching depth. And so I was like, this is a really good opportunity to do it. Um, you know, I had seen performance at the major league level and there were, I didn't, you know, I knew some of the pitchers, but I didn't know all the pitchers that were going to come up. But like, I was definitely thinking about, you know, Tanner Bybee and some of these guys. I was like, you know what, we're going to come up and maybe see one start and act on limited information down the line. I was like, I think this is a, I felt pretty good about Bubich. So it stings, but like in the middle of the week, you had said, you know, get ready to talk about Chris Bubich come the weekend. I remember that. And I'm like, yeah, no, I like him. And I remember you kind of perked up because I don't think you expected that. Uh-huh. And then we kind of fed off of that and like the momentum of like both kind of being on board kind of fueled like the the huge, huge bidding. Because I think we just were convincing each other like this is it. Like we don't know that Bobby Miller, Bryce Miller, Mason Miller, Brian Wu, all these guys are going to come up and 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 do well and we think this is our shot it's early in the season we may have our one guy who's going to be a productive pitcher and be the cole reagans like you said like what cole reagans did at the end of this year like what if we get him in the third week like this is going to be money um Mm -hmm. and so like i think we kind of fueled each other's passion for for overbidding here um but everything brian said was right like all the, the numbers looked great um and then like his vila was down that first start after we got him and i think mm. it was like a rainy day and we're like it's just the cold weather it's just the cold weather mm. yep, we got to yep, keep the faith yep. and then the tommy john happens later so oh, it kind of snake bit us a snake bit me of like whoa we just like blew 188 bucks and like we're not even in may yet and like that didn't work out but uh i guess we bounced back yeah and tyler mcgill like the week before i think i don't have the exact average bid but i know there were bids in the uh, mid 200s on Tyler McGill, you know? So if, if he was maybe more of a mid hundred guy on average, again, I don't have the exact numbers, but uh, I remember coming off of that, trying to assess what the range was going to be. Um, and yeah, I, I think that it was also just to kind of put a, a finer point on this, like knowing that there was a, when you're sitting at home and like you're on Twitter and there's a certain group of like <laughs> sharp guys, like, like I'm not the only one that sees, yeah, I guess yeah. Lance Brozdowski has his thing. Right. And like, like I'm not the only one reading Lance Brozdowski's tweet. And so like, is some other lunatic in my 14, 15 person draft going to go 150 on Chris Bubich, despite what his numbers were last year. So it was really difficult to kind of, you didn't have enough of, of track record to see like what your league was going to do. So that was a, a tight spot. That's why like the bids were as high as they were. Yeah. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, I mean, the year before it was like George Kirby. Like I would, I didn't bid that high, and then like George Kirby ends up being George Kirby, and it's like, damn, why didn't I just like bid like sixty bucks to get him? And I didn't want that to be the case for Bubich. Like we'd be ruining the day if Bubich had five months of excellent uh, performance and we weren't on board. We'd just be like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. We saw it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that totally makes sense. Um, it was kind of the same thing just talking amongst um the crew and you know and uh in our discord the tight discord and it's okay we all came to a separate conclusion that he's uh this guy's good you know and we're gonna go hard for him and um like you said within the injuries it's it's very easy to say oh that was terrible pick what were you what were people thinking um but injuries you know um, do that. Yeah. So McGill was like uh, 139 median that pre- previous week. So 
Um, and then Bubic fell into that range as well. So, um, what are you gonna do, man? Uh, you do. Sometimes you gotta get a hunt, and you gotta go with it. Sometimes, you know. Sometimes, like I look at the people that are pretty successful and how conservative they are with their their money, and um, you know, I think that it's it's. Uh, I mean, I could just talk about spending in general. Like, I think there's this this concept, especially because of of the success of people in their in the twelve teams lately, right? Like, and 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 that spillover into the fifteen team. Right. And so it's like, you know, this like just spend early, get your guys, you get them for five months type of thing. And um, I think that that, you know, the, the idea of the aggressiveness, you know, I think you're being aggressive or, or I think the, the narrative is, is that you're being aggressive. I think almost the opposite, you know, kind of turn that definition on its head a little bit. It's like a guy like Steve Weimer is is like so disciplined and, and he's aggressive in not doing that. He is he is raising his floor ceiling and lowering his floor by waiting to see what comes on down the line. Right. He's not operating out of fear. Like, Oh, what if something doesn't come across, which to me is like, I, I think it's a fear-based thing when you're like, I'm going to bid here because I don't know if the next thing is going to come down. This, this is my last chance to spend, you know, if it's in the middle and it's uh, you know, Tanner Ivy again, it's like, this can be the last, you know, one of the best last chances to get somebody. But yeah, you know, Steve will just continue to just like churn away and just like when he gets guys are at like they're 25 percent of the overall, you know, the, of the median bid, you know, or, or maybe half the median bid. You know, he just like grinds away, not afraid. And I think that's aggressive because you're, you're really putting a lot at risk and like putting a lot of faith in like, I don't know what's down the line, but I'm OK finding out and, and, and taking that chance. And by doing so, I open up the possibility that I can get three guys when everybody else just got two guys for the same dollar value. So. Kind of, that's my uh, theory on on the aggressiveness. I like the aggressiveness, just you like, like uh, yeah, just like um, just like Drago, just like his coach would say, no one could match his aggressiveness. It's just that's you. Um, I heard you mention you know zone contact. We all talk about like metrics and what we like to look at. Do you guys um, look at zone contact, O swing? Do you break it down to pitch levels too? Or do you guys just looking at you know, like, oh, his zone contact on the slider is such and such. Or are you looking at the whole picture only? How granular do you get with that? Because I, 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 I look at it, um, but I don't know if it's too much. I've yeah, been so, told it's too much. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, if, 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 if there was like, you know, some, I've incorporated ball percentage a lot more this year. Uh, yeah, uh, ball Dylan, Dylan likes to make fun of me in my, my, I think that was a first pitch strike uh, dig <laughs> earlier that, some people might have missed, but yeah, they were <laughs> I was like, look, his, his uh, first pitch strike is this, but no, I, um, so you're like pro first pitch strike. I mean, that was what I would use. That would, what I, that's what I would use day. to kind of be like, is this walk rate, you know, is his current walk rate indicative of like his true talent? Yeah. It was definitely a, a metric I would use. And now I use ball percentage. I'll incorporate yeah, when I do like my example. weekly leaderboards, I'll, I'll now incorporate and figure out my own ball percentage. Um, uh, figure out Could, the ball percentage. Hmm? Yeah. I, I kind of flipped off of, first pitch strike a little bit. I, I read a thread that Kyle body had about like the psychology of telling pitchers that you must like, Oh, it's better to throw a strike here or you must throw a first pitch strike. And that they just kind of like discarded it. And they're like, don't worry about one. Oh, like make, make, make one Oh a mental. It's fine. I, I can get back in it. And I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. So like, you know, not many, 
it seems to be that not many people are super analytic when you when you read a lot of the quotes and tweets about specific teams. But I wonder if you know um, that's just kind of like stuck with me a little bit and like maybe all right, so maybe maybe like that that like mental part of it translates to other pitchers who are kind of being told the same thing. Perhaps I don't know, but. I yeah, I'm a big ball percentage guy. I love staying ball percentage. Um, Jeff Zimmerman, Steve Weimer, they got some good. Got Jeff on on Fangraphs. Steve Weimer's in the forecaster. They do some great dives on ball percentage. Um, love it. Um, but yeah, so I didn't know if you were like you know uh, complete granular on um, some of the pitch level stuff because I like to see what other people look at. You know, uh, so like you know. Um, like someone's is getting chases and at at a good rate on a, on specific pitches, but like their their zone contact on their four seamer is just what I don't like. I mean, it just seems like a little too high, and maybe the strikeout rate looks maybe a little lucky because like can't beat anyone in the zone. I don't know. Um, just always trying to find ways to get into into the data, and I just uh, just want to ask you guys, you know, how you felt about um, that. But so the rest of the fab ads, like how are you guys determining it? Like, um, how do you how do you weigh streamer versus rest of season? Like, obviously, you want to hit that rest of season guy that's going to give you like, okay, I put this up a guy in week five and he's on my team the whole year. Like, Kerry Carpenter, I'm sure you guys didn't drop him, right? He was just a rest of season staple on your team, no? Oh, we dropped him. Oh, you did? did drop <laughs> I think we him. dropped him when he got injured. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's right. There was a brief point that he did get injured. Um, I forgot about that. Um, I forgot we had him. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you weigh the, you know, we're going for, like, um, this is like a streamer move or this is like a, a rest of season kind of player that we want to target? Uh. I, I start by leading into the Sunday conversation with Slack doing the my projection stuff. So mm-hmm. I get a sense of like who rest of season is projected to be good. I have my own uh, in-season thing, which is like last 30 days, last 60-day thing, where I, I run a whole bunch of stupid things and then get, get a number just to see <laughs> like where they're looking at the time. And Brian ha- comes in and he's kind of already created a framework and a skeleton of what he wants like i think we did two hitters here we're gonna probably drop you know player x and then you know we could talk about if we want to you know add a third person who i think should be a, a a starter or whatever and then we we talk it out um by the end of course when we're like in the final month and we're trying to hold on to first and we're like tactically trying to target certain um categories uh it obviously became a bit more streamy um mm-hmm and less rest of season. And um, I think the, the big challenge, at least for me, the part that was giving me the anxiety at the end was how to like budget properly just to make sure we don't like screw ourselves and have no money in the final week or something like that. So it was like every, for me at least, every decision at the end was like so magnified of how much to spend. I know that wasn't your question. Um, no, no, but no, no, at I, first I like it was rest it. of season as what definitely in informing it streaming it was definitely informing it who looked like they were going to get playing time or maybe steal playing time moving forward and now we should get in on the ground floor that was part of it um and then at the end it just kind of focused to mostly streaming only what what's it what, what is that what you think brian yeah yeah pretty much um i mean i think that i mean i kind of mentioned this 
Dylan to you before is like, I've tried to over the years, recent last past few years, like focus more on like not stashing as much being more cutthroat, you know, when I go back to that, like, well, what if there's not going to be something down the line? Like, it seemed like there was always a Michael A. Taylor with like six matchup, you know, six good games to like stream or, you know, Matt Walner, we pick up for a buck, right? Like, there's always kind of somebody there and you, and, and, you know, if you kind of know, like, you know, the prospects, you're like, well, this is, you know, they're only these two prospects, right? Um, but really, there's more there than you think. And so I want to, if I, you know, were, were to have done it again, it would have been like bumping up that, like, even more, even tighter with like the drops earlier on, you know, but we definitely reached a point in, in, in August where it was like, yeah, if they were out for a couple of weeks, they were, they were gone. Yeah. The one week you call me about Mason Miller. I'm like, bro, you still got Mason Miller? Cutthroat. You're not cut. <laughs> well, I dropped him two weeks. Yeah, no, I was just joking. That's a funny one. Cause I was like, I dropped him two weeks ago. You and you're like, I know you did. I fucking heard huh. you. Yeah, I'm asking yeah, yeah, you yeah. about it now. <laughs> yeah. I was always thinking Mason Miller was gonna be okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I mean, I stashed. Look, I, I had other mains where, like, I, I one main where I lost like by like four and a half points, and I stashed Tyler O'Neill all year long. Oh, um, I, I wrote out Scott Barlow like in my lineup for like the three months. Like, and this dude was like, he Me was too. the Tim Anderson of the closer position. He was just like, he got a save once every two weeks, and you're like, well, he's still the closer. Like, I should have been. <laughs> I should have been moved on. I should have moved yeah. on. And like, it's all the difference. And you think like, oh, this is, you know, uh, yeah. I look back at those moves and honestly, I don't even know. I held, I'd love to talk about a different league now, but like I held Max Freed, right. And, and as did everybody, I don't know how many times he was dropped if at all. And it's like, he came back, he was out for a long time. He came back. I think he did. I don't even know his numbers. I think it kind of worked out, but if you really like consider like it almost, I want to say it kind of was almost as good as it could have been. And then you had the flip side of people that waited for Rodon. He came back and it was like the worst it could have been. And I'm, I'm wondering if even though the free thing kind of maybe worked for holding him as long as it was, like, I wonder if even that was a mistake. Like if I should have just dropped him and then just churned and then come across like Reese Olsen and Cutter Crawford and, you know, then Cole Reagan, you know I mean? Just like just keeping and going with that spot rather than just letting a guy sit there for three, four months, even though he was a top fifth round pick, you know? So yeah, these are questions, not answers. Brian, how did you find Dylan to be, you know, because he's he's been, um, you know, he's got his Robo Scout, he's, he's been pumping out, you know, unbelievable prospect ads since I started following him. How how is he with um, prospects? You know, um, terrible, terrible, right? Terrible. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Mike South Frelick, let's get South Frelick, let's get South Frelick. <laughs> It's like, but we have Andrew Benintendi. <laughs> True story. These are not made up stories. He's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that he. No, but in terms of too, like, in terms of like, um, because you know, I, I think, yeah, you have to have a good balance. You know, you, it's it's something that he he specialized in, but it's also I think a lot of people fall into that trap of wanting too many of those guys too. You know, like because you because you're so involved with it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, especially because you think about like ceiling, nothing is better ceiling than a guy that like has done well in the minors and we haven't seen him yet. Who knows? Like his ceiling is, yeah. is unlimited, you know? So yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, I'll let Dylan speak on it, but I think that was good. I mean, it kind of, you know, he does have a little bit of more of that, like, you know, I, I, I in drafts, like I'm actually pretty, you know, half glass, half full or glass, half empty. But in the season, I do get a little bit more excited about some of these guys. And I think he was a good kind of bring me back down to earth. Like, well, what if it 
isn't as good as you think it, you know, we mm. you know, are expecting. So um, I think that was a good sobering uh, voice to have uh, on my, on my shoulder in those instances. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I think the, the boobitch thing where I was talking about how we were both excited and it kind of backfired. I kind of ended up being like the yin to his yang moving forward. So if he was excited, I would say, well, what about and kind of splash cold water? Mm. And if he was a bit down, I would kind of talk somebody up. Um, I actually felt for prospects that I was terrible this year. I, I didn't feel that my track record was good. We're, the guys we ended up getting weren't that great. Um, I, Matt McLean was doing, he was like number one in RoboScout and AAA. And I didn't push him hard enough because I was like tentative. And like when like Tyler Soderstrom's not doing well, but Zach Geloff's doing well, it's like everything goes out the window. And I'm like, I don't know what's what. Like, why is this guy doing better than that guy and this guy not doing well? I don't know. So I'm generally risk averse to prospects in in a fantasy league just because I, I generally have like a good depth a good bench on the teams. And so like, I don't want to like lose that, like having a, a Lane Thomas on the bench um, because I want to try to pick up Pete Crow Armstrong or something. Like I don't want to do that because I know what I'm getting from my bench guys. Um, and just like Brian was saying, he's like, he and I were kind of opposite sides of just throwing out ideas. And then together we would kind of make the decision of what we felt. I don't know if I really answered what you're saying, but I, I feel like we would, at least for me, I actively would take sort of the opposite side of the argument, not because I wanted that side of the argument, but just like, Hey, are we like seeing everything here? Let's, let's look at everything before we make a decision on this. That's such a good point. I think that's um, a huge part of a good partnership and, and, um, and it's a huge part of good, like friendly chat too. Um, and I'm usually that person in the chat and I go like right at Phil, even if I agree with him, I'll say every single thing bad about a certain player or anything. And at some point he figures out that I'm just fucking with him, but it's healthy because like you said, um, it's just plain devil's advocate. You're going to get the best out of that conversation when you bring out other things, you know, despite you knowing the, the good things that the other guy is pointing out. I think that's huge. I think it really helps you grow. Um, I don't know. That's great. I think that's a great answer. Um, and I would like to clarify my, like when I said, yeah, terrible with prospects, it was not terrible with prospects. He was, he was only, I was just joking that it was like, I would be like the gas and he would be the brakes. So it was like, it was, it was completely opposite of what he, you know, I would have thought he would be more excited for some of the prospects, but I was, uh, it was not terrible at all. There were several prospects he saved us from. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, the, and, and I don't know, what do you, what do you guys think about next year's draft landscape with how the rookie pitchers came up, how they dominated Fab? Um, will you do you guys anticipate teams maybe in, in like main main event draft season, maybe just starting to you know try to stash more of these players, anticipating them coming up, or um, I don't know, you know, do you guys think anything's going to change next year because of how well some of the pitchers did and how aggressive some of these teams have been with the rookies? Uh, I mean, since Brian's never going to look at fantasy baseball again, <laughs> I guess I got to answer. Fucking guy. <laughs> um, I think we as humans are, are dumb, and so we're going to overcorrect. And so we're going to yep. take all these young pitchers way earlier than they should. 
than we should rationally. Um, so I think that's going to happen. And I'm not saying that based on anything other than <laughs> just how I know humans behave. Um, I think uh, people will do a lot of stashing. I think we saw like Sir Gibson Long, even Resolson, and JP France, like these guys were not on anyone's radar and they were performing and doing well. So I think people are going to start taking shots on guys that aren't really like the top five guys that you'd think they're going to go <laughs> to the top 50. Um, like in DCs, I'm sure, like you're probably seeing that with some stashes of prospects that are um, maybe questionable if you're going off of standard top 100 lists. Um, so I think, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a shift toward the young. I mean, major league teams are doing that as well. So I think we're going to see that with us fantasy players doing the same thing. Whether that's a winning strategy or not, I don't know. I, I, I'm i right. tentative yep. to, to jump on board with that idea. I know that obviously some of these guys are doing well. I didn't think Corbin Carroll would do what Corbin Carroll did. So I missed out on that. I miss out on a lot of these guys, the, the young guys who are picked early because I, I like the, you know, the safety quote unquote of a track record. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's what I think. Are you going to see what he was going to say? Are you going to attempt to answer this or, I mean, does it not matter to you? Um, I mean, now you can just give it all away. You're not, you're not fucking playing. So yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I don't think that uh, I think there's a lot of guys to be picked up throughout the year. I wouldn't want to be like in a spot where I'm like trying to drop another like four or five hundred dollars, you know, three, four hundred dollars on, on all these guys. I don't mm -hmm. know how I would game plan around it. Um, I don't know the talent pool. Like like Dylan just said, there's a lot of names that we wouldn't have thought. But there were quite a few names that we you know were drafted in, in the draft champions um, that we probably could have seen coming, you know. So, um, yeah, might be an overcorrection, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I. I'm going to guess that the sentiment is that everybody feels like they spent too much, regardless of what it was. There was a, another prospect, stud high level prospect. I, I definitely haven't seen this level of like three and four hundred dollar bids, you know, from week to week as much as we did. But I do wonder if some people will look back and be like, you know what? Even though I got that guy and Yuri Perez was good, like, was it like, did it actually benefit my team just to, to drop forty percent of my budget, you know, in that player? Um, I'm sure everybody will kind of talk about that and kind of come up to their own conclusions. My my conclusion would be like I would probably not want to try to be in that spot, you know. Whatever yeah, it took I, to not get that in spot, that's what I would try be trying to do. I I think it's funny that people will probably look at our draft and our fab and be like, Yeah, look, you don't have to spend too much. They only spent 80 on Edmund and Cassis and the Boobich thing was just an anomaly. You don't have to bid big and you can win the overall like people will start <laughs> emulating that which was just fluke of how it kind of played out and not like that's why we won because we did that that's not that at all but it's just funny that i think people look study and try to try to uh deconstruct what we did and how they can incorporate into the game i don't know yeah. maybe that's hubris, but it's funny to me yeah no and i mean i just think that like you know really i think the names that we've gone through you know and we went round by round it was just super healthy you know compared to like some of my other drafts uh and some of you know i don't know dylan in your draft too but like you just a lot of it stayed really healthy you know and, and got some breaks and it's 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 not like um you know there were these huge splashy pickups i think most of the pickups were actually not the rookies it was um, you know, Tommy Edmond, somebody dropped him when he got hurt. We picked that up. We picked Grayson, up Josh Naylor, Grayson, Grayson, 
Reese, yeah, Reese Olson was like a new, younger guy, you Chris know. Sanchez, love the Cutter like Crawford. It. Cutter Crawford's been around, Cutters, you know, yeah. like, you know, I mean, they're just like, but they cost like, I mean, and our league was really tough uh, from like a, they wouldn't let you get away with a lot of stuff. And this is where yeah. Dylan came in really hand, like handy, like, you know, I don't want, I don't know if that's a paint him in a negative light, but like, I, I would was much yeah like oh he came in handy there no but like it was super helpful because i'm like very spendy and the more he's like you know this one week in particular it was like noel v Marte, we needed speed and we needed power noel v Marte was yeah. there and g1 bay was dropped we had about i don't know dylan tell me 120 bucks i was like i'm gonna go 35 on both of these guys and he's like well that will put us in a spot where you know we're at like 40 by the time it's all said done in the mid 40s with our bidding and for we start like five weeks to go like what are we going to be able to do that he's like why don't we just go 35 on one of them yeah and then drop the second guy you know and so we did we went 35 on noel 33 on noel i think and then 13 on bay and we ended up getting them both but mm -hmm. like you know so then you had the extra 20 dollars like that breathing room to kind of get there but yeah i think that you know part of his analysis was driven by like look this is a very active league. There's so many $4, $5 bids that like, if we're going to get, you know, Matt Walner down the side, I know we got Matt Walner for a dollar, but like somebody like that for like seven bucks, you know, like we had to have that flexibility. I think we got Kyle Harrison for nine, although that might've been after anyway. Point is nothing we were getting was like at a dollar. Everybody else was yep. like in there. And I think that goes back to with that kind of, if we can go back to the aggressiveness of the spending and all that stuff is like, you know, everybody's getting smarter and like the things you think you can, especially the 12 team format where you can always pick up somebody for a dollar and it's actually a pretty good player. I just don't think that. And I think it's becoming less and less viable as a, as a, as a, I, to me, right. Um, as a, as a strategy to be like, okay, I'm just going to get down to super low dollars and just get every Friday for a dollar. Like the leagues are too smart uh, now to where like, yep. they're just going to go like three bucks. And then you just got like your eighth priority. And now you're going to sink in the standings. It's just like, it just seems kind of where I'm sitting, it's totally my opinion, but it seems pretty obvious. I'm just like, that just doesn't seem like a great recipe in a sharp league that's very active. You know, I think you're going to need those five and eight dollar bids like down the stretch. Without a doubt. And, and 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 you just look, just look at your, just look at the transaction log every week. You'll see like it, it, if your league is, is, is competitive and it's bids or not, you see there's there's very little runner-up bids at at certain point and just less bids overall. But your group, you know, you got the Groobs, you got Doug Gruber, uh, Mitzef, Geller, Kellen, Masato. Those pretty active players, right? I mean, um, yeah, it's just gonna be leagues where it's like you'll get way more competition in the bids. And like you said, at those last couple of weeks or uh, last month, if you could have seven instead of three, and that's what I wish I did. There was so many, there were so many weekends where I said, "Man, hmm. mm -hmm. why did I spend thirty nine dollars on Victor Robles this one week?" You know, I thought he was gonna like again. You know, we, we talked about the environment and stolen bases, and he even got a chance to lead off before Abrams did. Right? You know, I thought like for like three days, and then he got hurt. I was like, oh. But it, it was at that right point for him. It looked like he was going to – and then those back problems came. But still, I, I was excited. I needed stone base. It was the perfect play. And I'm looking at him like, jeez, Christ. He ended up playing like six plate appearances for me. And it's like, ah, maybe it just needed to be six, you know. And uh, I really wish I could have that back. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not really um, regretting some of, you know, like 
spending a lot of money on on Bryce Miller. Yeah, I wish I had a lot of that money back, but he was good. He played a a, a pretty like a pretty pivotal role on my team, and um, you know, just some of them I'll go back and just be like, damn, like uh, could have tempered my expectations there or my enthusiasm in the bids, and it was mostly in the in in like like june july i don't know something about the weather maybe maybe something about the summer maybe too much sun too much tequila something is uh influencing those bids and at the end of the season i really tighten it up and just turned over a whole bunch of stuff but um man i wish i just had some money you know like ugh. i did that every year every year i would I always do like i always do that like it's i do Get out, spend early, and then I really tighten it up for like two months. And so by the time August rolls around, I do feel like I'm in a kind of a pretty good spot, like maybe top four-ish, three or four or five, you know, in the league. Like I, I'm not broke. And then something happens. I always seem to maybe even like just a few weeks early, it's just like get a little bit too thin. Yeah. And this could be very fluky too, but in like in one of my mains, I'm like, I do have money. I don't want anybody. Like no one was worth the extra bidding for, and I'm then I was frustrated. Like, should I have spent this early? That could be just so league lucky, league dependent. But you know, I don't know. Sometimes like it's just it's such a tough thing to you know gauge and when to be aggressive. But you know, is it going thirty dollars on a player instead of fifteen six weeks out before Fab better than having the ability to go six or seven in the last week? You know, like. And you just have to nail that player. Yes, it would be perfect for your team to be able to, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense at all if I'm just rambling, but. Um, totally makes sense to me. I mean, the whole game yeah. for me is optimizing. Yeah. The draft, you want to get the best value at the positions and all that that you can. And so you're constantly tweaking and reiterating and trying to find what's the best combination of things. So do I spend my money early or do I save it? And you're you're agonizing over these things you have no idea about <laughs> and you're killing yourself with this psychological weight <laughs> and, and you don't really know. So it, everything yep. you're saying completely speaks to me. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I hate it. It's the gift and the curse of it. Like you said, it's just, it's just like, what am I doing with my brain? Why is this having these com like discussions that don't really mean anything? Um <laughs> After two two days, it could be completely void. Um, ah, man, Scuba was the one guy too. I don't regret too. I saved money for him. I knew I, I earmarked him in every league. He, I threw, I threw Fab diversification out the window with him. Um, but that was like 150 average on right, 150 bucks yeah. probably on average. Or yep. for the winning, yeah, for the winning bit, yeah, yeah. It was worth every penny, you know. Um, I, I do it. I did it in every league too. Like online championships, every league I could, or that I needed him. And um, pretty, uh, pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I really enjoyed trying to um, peg some of the like you know the lesser known pitchers, like the Reese Olsons of the world. You know, he was kind of a guy that was great. I was early in on on him, and then I talk about cutthroat he had like those bad starts and i just completely even though under the hood there was still some good stuff going on uh i think it was a stretch of ball percentage and like he was just getting everything was getting barreled up i'm like you're done 
you know, and um, ended up costing me. Like I could have used him down the stretch. I definitely, that's the league where I lost K's in the last couple of days. And um, I probably could have <laughs> used his K's down the stretch, but I don't know, acted quick and um, got rid quick. And it's just, a, it was the wrong guy to get rid of quick. And Cutter Crawford too, <laughs> I jumped ship on him. Uh, I was too cutthroat with pitchers. I don't know why. Um, I have to get back into my brain in those moments to figure out what I was thinking and why I was being so cutthroat, especially I, like who. I think yeah. on, on Crawford, I need to check the numbers, but I think we dropped in that same weekend as well. And I think we, the three of us here, we might've been the only ones that dropped in that week. Um, it was, you know, I think we were looking at like the velocity was kind of dipping a little bit and uh, he had a, a tough stretch for like the next three weeks that weren't like great. Yes, and uh, yes, you're just 100%. you're just like like uh, I just don't think it's gonna be you know um, ideal. Like I I wouldn't have been as excited about whoever we picked up if he was out there in the on, in the free agent pool. You know, despite like the ownership percentage and kind of what he had done. So yeah, we we dropped him that same week. Um, and you know, um, you know that that was we had a point where like things kind of went sideways for us a little bit. We were pretty aggressive on the drops as well. Um, we dropped JP France. Uh, you know, I think that kind of worked out the numbers we looked at um, for what he did. We got, you know, pretty much maximized his numbers on our team, but there was one episode where um, the hurricane was coming to LA and uh, <laughs> we dropped the rotowire grid hat. You know, they had Snell going on, Monday and I wasn't even sure they were going to play that. We weren't even sure they were going to play that game. Mm -hmm. And we had Waka. Obviously, we do need strikeouts, but it did look like we had. We also had Cueto, who was scheduled for a two step, but the Rotowire grid didn't even have um, Waka in there. They had Waka for the next Sunday. They could have had him on Tuesday, but it would have been plenty of rest for Snell. Anyway, we drop uh, Michael Waka and keep Johnny Cueto. Okay. All of a sudden, I look up and. John uh, Michael Walker starting that night, like the hurricane had passed and like the field is great. It's in great condition. They're going to, they're going to pitch. And so it's Monday, like, you know, noon and Walker's like going to pitch. And I just had this sinking feeling in my stomach. And like, at this point we had started to, to really gain. And, and maybe I would guess we were like in like eighth or ninth place, maybe even a little higher, but we weren't in the top five. I don't think. And it's like, it started, it had started to become real. Right. And, what we drop Waka and there's just like this sinking feeling of like, what have we done? We can't go back uh, and dread. And you got to wait like six more days till your fab runs again. You know, like you're yeah. just, you're just like, like as, as disgusted and just down as, as we could be. Uh, Texan Dylan, he was feeling the exact same. And um, it led to uh, Dylan, I don't know what you call it. Like the phone, like a phone, um, the phone call, the phone call basically. So I call him up <laughs> and I just went off for like 45 minutes about like how we got to that point, you know, cause we, again, we felt like the, the pressure was kind of, it was becoming real. And I was like, how did we get here? I was like, Rob, if you remember last time I was on your pod, I was like, I said that we're Mike D'Antoni led offense, right? Like we're just going to keep, we got to keep going. And like what got us there to that point, we had already dropped at this point on the phone call. We'd already dropped Cutter Crawford. We already dropped JP France. I was like, we just got to stay aggressive. Like what we can't do is allow this to like, you, you know, we can't clam up in this moment, which I think is, is, a, is it would have been a natural reaction for me. And just like, oh, you know, like trying to, 
to just eke your way there and try to like these like safe moves. It's like, we just wanted to stay aggressive. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Dylan, you can kind of convey whatever else happened on the call, but I do feel like that was maybe, maybe a turning point in our season. Like it really got us back on the same page and back. Like, I think there needed to be that like clearing of the air. Cause we hadn't said, Oh, we, we went from this kind of abstract idea to like a very real uh, here's where we are. Like we could, we could win this, you know? And so I think we need to kind of get on the same page. So uh I will let Dylan describe the rest of my mood for how you interpret it. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, all that, all that is true. Um, after the boobich thing, like, like I said, I, I was snake bit. And so like, as Brian said, that the natural reaction after this um, would be to just be like, okay, with no more mistakes type of thing. And that generally means play it safe. Um, and it was kind of like, we blew it. Like we didn't like think the Waka thing through and like, why are we relying on Johnny Cueto anyway? And mm. he went on the IL and I think we got kind of lost and swept up in the idea of like, let's maximize like two starts and stuff because we had a nice ratio situation. And so it's just like, what's the safe two two step play, all that kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah, Brian called and then he just kind of laid it out on the line. Like let's, our process is good. Let's just continue going. Oh, let's only worry about the things we can control. This was just one misstep. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep crushing it. Um, and um, I don't know if I said this, but it's like at this point, I kind of felt like I can't lose it for this guy. I want Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I want Brian to win this thing. And I just it was like honestly, it was like I don't want to blow it that I did something. So let's fucking get this thing from him so we can mm -hmm. go out on a on a high and win the whole thing. So. Um, it was like his enthusiasm like we hadn't really talked on the phone like about like the state of the team it was always like we would talk about the fab that day uh you know when i could fit you in and uh <laughs> and it was this time when like you're just kind of saying like i really want to win this let's do it let's just keep going let's keep pushing let's not be you know tentative let's be aggressive but smart about it blah 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 and it was uh like we hadn't really talked um and so that kind of like opened it up, at least for me, for for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it was that's it was it was definitely um, an impassioned rant. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I think because because you know too like you know it kind of folds into some of the other topics as well. But like and and, and Rob, you've said this like I don't want to lose with uh, Andre Jackson in my starting lineup. You know what I mean? I was like, we're the ones. Like that have to deal. Like nobody cares. Nobody cares if we lose. You know, especially if we lose. Right? Nobody's gonna gives cares at all. So like, it's gonna be <laughs> us that lays our head on on the pillow in December, January, as all these DCs are happening, and we're the ones that have to live with these missteps. You know what I mean? So like, we should make you know, leave it all out there, but then like make sure that we're like you know doing what we want to do, and like if it's aggressive, if like we just stay on top of it and like lose the way we want to lose, you know, I mean, if we're going to lose, we want to lose, you know, without, you know, guns ablaze basically. Yeah. You have to do that. <clears throat> I think that's the only way to go. Um, yeah. You know, gotta, yeah. like you said, D'Antoni offense. Um, Let's go to those points. That's just it. Key, just like, cause I mean, Rob, you know this, I've dropped, I've had just the worst, you know, terrible drops in the past, but um, yeah, you kind of just get numb to it. And um you know, I think that you just keep keep firing, keep going. Yeah. I mean, but Brian Brian has had this experience of kind of like at least competing in the overalls before. So he kind of knows how the last month goes for mains and stuff. 
So he like it was so helpful that he knows like you know you can't rely on starters in the final week and mm. like people are gonna get benched and all this stuff. So like I I want to have only one pitcher on the bench in the final two weeks like that type of thing. So it was like way easier for me to have to like I can make decisions within that framework without having to like think of all the possibilities like how much money do we need and like he's like you know we only need like nine bucks like you know 25 for the last three weeks is probably fine and like i would be like i think i need 50 like i there's no way like he he was just like he knew what the landscape was going to be and so that made my life a lot easier like actually at one point he was like hey and when you were going for overalls and tgfbi like <laughs> like what did you take away from it uh like, what did you learn that we can apply here? I'm like, hey, dude, I don't, I didn't win. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, it's like that uh, Roger Federer, Andy Roddick. I don't know if you remember this. Um, Federer beat Roddick for like the, I don't know, ninth time or something like that. And um, the uh, commentators interviewing Roddick after is like, what do you think of this, you know, this rivalry of you and Roger Federer and Roddick? It's like, I mean, I think I got to win one before you can call it a rivalry. Uh, <laughs> like, I, what can I bring to this overall conversation? I can't bring anything because I haven't won. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't close. So you're not getting mm -hmm. anything from me. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it sounds like, um, it sounds like a, a nice system, you know, and I think it's so, so huge to, playing together and playing efficiently together right and um guys it's a nice little duo nice uh <laughs> what was the line you said before brian what did uh, i say uh this yeah uh, like um like he's useful handy. he was useful <laughs> handy handy <laughs> hey give me handy. oh my god i wish oh, my god. vocabulary didn't suck so bad <laughs> Hey, Dylan, put this in a spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> so, and then, you know, I mean, you want to talk about like mindset too, like, 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 um, there's so much time to think about things, but like, so we took the lead in, in September and we really like a huge August and we kind of stagnated and really kind of just limped to the finish line quite a bit. But at a certain point, I think in early September, when the things weren't kind of going, uh, another video, I don't know if I sent you the video or just me talking about it, but I watched the, uh, Oscar de la Hoya, Felix Trinidad fight from 1999. Oh, like, is really? This is what this this is the weird places I go in my mind. This is no, but this is why you should be a coach. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Or or, or like I'll pay you to coach me because I would love a little. I I I remember where I was for that fight too. I was at a Hooters. <laughs> Again, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, yeah, great fight. Yeah. It was a great fight. Yeah, I was. I remember where I was too. Was it my buddy's? Yeah. Who uh, you root for? Yeah. I was rooting for Trinidad. Yeah. So yeah, was, yeah. 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 I mean, because because De La Hoya hadn't lost at that point, and he yeah. got out to for those of you that are uh, under a certain age, that uh, he got out to. I mean, he pretty. I thought handily won like the first. Uh, you know, five or six, Four or five. probably yeah, six. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he yeah, had yeah, it. Yep. He had it under he control, and like I think it was kind of you know not not really uh, debatable. And then he just goes in this like really clam up mode and isn't really throwing punches. And he's just like thinking like, I got this. I'm just going to like coast my way round by round. And even if I lose these last you know five rounds, I'm still going to win, you know? And he just didn't throw punches and, and Trinidad, you know, kept throwing the punches. And um, ultimately he lost. And I remember it like, I was like, when I was watching, it was, you know, very happy. But uh, as I, as I think back on it, I was like the problem, like, you know, you want to like, and this goes back to the same thing. If you're going to lose, like, I don't want to just like try to play it safe and try to like not make mistakes and then happen to lose. You know what I mean? Just like at the end, 
you know, kind of clamming up and then like, oh, well, we lost. And especially too with projections, like, you know, Rob, I, I think this will resonate with you. It's like, it's a point you got to be like, you know what? I'm not going to get Brenton Doyle for the sixth time and throw him out of course. I'm just not going to lose that. I'm not going to go and have to oh, deal God. with this in the off season, right? Like I'm just not the, and then I, cause I, as much as I like projections, I think I want to really kind of identify where I am emotionally. Am I just liking this because it gives me something to put my like blame on if it doesn't go right? Well, I have a process and it's the projections and the projections didn't work. Oh, well, I'll try next time. Like at some point you got to own that and, um, you know, kind of live with the consequences. So, uh, yeah, I think that was where I was. I was like, look, we just got to, you know, uh, keep swinging and um, not just try to have these safe plays, not not be afraid. And so I, <laughs> this might have been, I'm going to guess it was the exact week that we picked up Jordan Lawler, uh, Kyle Wright, and uh, yeah, Hunter Goodman. You know, we, anyway, like we had maybe 40 bucks left, and I think we spent about 20 that weekend. We got Lawler for 10 to 1, Kyle Wright unopposed. And we had a lead, and I was like, you know, there was the tendency to be like, you know what, you can kind of just spend a little bit less, get guys maybe with a little bit better match. But I was like, this is, you know, this is Jordan Lawler. Like, this, what could go right here, you know? And um, yeah, in a way to like, just try to like be aggressive and go and get those guys. And if those guys do what, you know, what Evan Carter did, um, then all of a sudden you're looking at like a bigger lead and you're not sweating as much the last week. But yeah, we really went for it. Even with the lead there, uh, it did not work. And that was frustrating. And then later it was terrifying as, as the points kind of dwindled. So, but yeah, I think some of that mentality was where we were in like the middle of September. But it seemed like everything was going wrong. Like, you were mm. you were touting Kevin Pilar, for example, one weekend because you know he had a course matchup. <laughs> I told like, you not to Kevin tell that story. Pilar. I told you specifically not to tell that story. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm telling it. And <laughs> I I said we're not taking Kevin Pilar. And he got a home run and a stolen base. So it's like, okay, I guess you know the player raider's right. And then when we follow the player raider, it's like we go 0 for nine or whatever. And so it's like like mm. we couldn't seem to get anything right. Every, nothing was lining up. Okay, we'll get Lawler because you know he's a 2020 guy, but in this landscape, maybe it's 2040. And so you know we'll have all those stolen bases at least. And then so let's make sure we get them, and we'll have them for the rest of the season. And you know doesn't work out. And then so like I it was like constantly having to remind myself that like <laughs> no sunk costs starting fresh. It's from now to the end of the season. Forget what just happened. Like, don't say, well, it happened two weeks in a row. So it's going to continue for the rest of the year. Um, you know, I keep reminding myself, like, follow the process, follow the process, follow the process. It's just variance. It's the Toby variance. That yes. hundred percent. Yeah. So, so true because yeah, Lawler, I mean, um, can just constantly looking at the box scores and, Doing the pod, like I'm trying to read playing time out. And um, I just remember, like, the second righty he sat against, I was like, motherfucker, he's just going to be facing lefties. And I was so mad because, you know, or maybe went three bucks uh, where I could have just, you know, gone one. Again, going back to the the money thing, trying to obsess over that, but still, because uh, I remember you were like, oh, man. You didn't have to pay that much for him because I just kept it on the cheap side. I ended up getting him. I saw the trend in my league for the bidding at the time and, and had it. And then on the fucking Brenton Doyle thing where I decided to stop, 
getting into Bretton Doyle, you know, in September, <clears throat> um, into October, he bats 261. The Babbitt goes kind of where I expected to, given his ground ball rate and his speed. He like, shot up to 349. And I'm like, this, you know, and, and he, whatever. You know, his OPS goes to 752 in September. And, like, all the stuff that I was, like, waiting for every time I added him. But then, you know, he had a similar month like that in May, but he struck out a lot less in, in September. Because, like, look back at it, I just remember just, man, um, he's getting better. And it's when I backed out. Because, like you said, Brian, it's such a pain in the ass. Now, how many times can you whiff on a player? just because you're like, oh, this is good. Like, I need a homer and a steal, and it's X amount of points in the overall, and it's it's this much movement in your league. Um, I know, and I felt like most of my leagues, I just had to make moves in power and speed. Like, had speed, but, like, guys around me had speed, too, and the power was, you know, not super chasing, but I just had to maintain at least. Um, I don't know, but um, we still sin. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Fucking, he's just sticking out in my head, you know, because like he had a six six start stretch, you know, um, twenty nine innings pitch, seventy RA, he was terrible, you know, twenty one to nine K to walk, everything was so bad, and then um, you know that I think the next two starts he just started throwing a change up a ton more devices, and he cut the slider down, and um, after two or three starts, I was like, oh, like maybe I'll get back in, and just was beaten to it. Um, and um, he was a beast after that. Six game starts, thirty five inning pitch, one five ERA, and six starts after that. I was like, oh god, could have used that man. But um, I'm you know I'm gonna cry myself asleep over Reese Olsen and uh, Brenton Doyle, Alex called another fucking free hole. <laughs> oh, my God, every week with the Alex call, I'm like, why do my eyes keep going? He's got four games in Washington, Monday to Thursday, starting every day. You know, power mm-hmm. speed um, looks looks solid. Uh, just nope. Just mm-hmm. never, ever panned out. Um, mm-hmm. Nick, would, Nick to, to Nick's uh, undying credit, he would always say, was like, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for with this guy? Like we have a guy that's just like soaking up a roster spot. He's like, point to me. Where where is this here? Like, what are we? What are you yeah. doing? You know. So I think that's sometimes yeah. helpful, just to the kind of like a wake up call. Uh, you know, you think this guy's like a, you're looking at the, the end of you know rest of season projections or whatever it is, and you know, just like uh, sometimes you gotta move on. I don't know. Makes sense. Absolutely. Um... There's a lot of good stuff here, a lot of actionable stuff. I want to let everyone know that my Jeep top is closed, so this 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 podcast will not be done twice. Mm. Um, Dylan, have you ever heard the story about when Brian came on the podcast last with Nick? Uh, vaguely, but please retell it. Oh, man, very fun story. So that night um, we recorded one full long episode, and me and Nick kind of knew Brian's <laughs> Mike was not great, but we somehow did not tell him um, until afterwards. Um, you you shifted the mic or something, and Nick was like, "Oh, you sound so much better like that." And you're like, "What are you talking about?" Mm. <laughs> and immediately I saw your face, like, "Wait, what did you say?" And uh, like, ah, you know, whatever. It was kind of going in and out when you move, and you're like, are you... <laughs> "You're so." concerned and after us just trying to tell you you know that whatever happened and my brain not 
actually thinking about you asking me if we could do it, if we could run it back. And you said it. <laughs> and I was like, what'd you say? <laughs> yes. Let's do this again, guys. Uh-huh. And, and Nick, you know, Nick with his great attitude about life. Say, like, yeah, man, that's cool. Well, I'm cool. You know, I'm hanging out. I'm just like, wait, both of you guys are serious. <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. but we did it we did it was it. like 10 and o'clock then, it had to have been close to one o'clock your time right it was one it was one i still have that ring video uh-huh, uh-huh. because we're in the middle uh and it's funny too because like great we just went through one this one will be streamlined and the, the second one went longer talk about streamlining <laughs> second one went longer on top of that in the sometime in the middle of it um I all of a sudden heard loud bangs outside, thunderstorm, and I was just like, you know, whatever, kept going. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit, my top of the Jeep is not up, you know? And, um, oh, man, I got, it was a storm, too. And <laughs> I sent Brian the video the next day of me mm-hmm. completing that mission and then came in, dried off, and continued the second pod. Oh man, that was one of the best things that happened since I started podcasting. It's a story that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. You know, and, rest and of I my called, life. And I called you the next day. Right? Yes, you did. I, I said, I said, I said, what you did was heroic. I think I said heroic. Heroic. Uh, be, yeah. Yeah. I, I think the, you sent me a beautiful uh, gift. You know, I did. I sent you like a little thoughtful, mug, thoughtful yeah. mug with the Mets on it, and I was like, oh, cool. You know, uh, because because I, stand I, I, I think guy, I, man. Stand uh, I have guy. my moments. I have my moments. But I think I said it that as like, you know, our character gets tested when yes. we least expect it. Right. And it's not convenient, mm-hmm. you know, but you could see on my face how upset I was oh, that the mic didn't work. Right. And you're like, oh, I can't I can't just do this right here. It's one o'clock my time. But you just like you hit re-record and we just fired it up again. And, and like you're a guy who had done, you know, a podcast a week for however many, you know, years now. It's like it could have been very easy to be like, Oh, I think it was good enough. Let's just move on, you know? And um, yeah, man, I think that, you know, in that moment, like you just didn't flinch. Uh, you may have squirmed a couple times, but like you did not flinch and bit. you went and yeah. you went and I mean, like yeah. that's like in and of itself, like, I mean, you just, again, kind of when I go back to my kind of more abstract mushy talk about like life experiences, man, uh, to, to be able to kind of tap into the best version of yourself uh, in that moment is I think something to, to strive for. Uh, regardless of, of if it's a fantasy baseball podcast or whatever. So that was awesome. It was just yeah. like on a personal level, fucking awesome. Yeah. And you had this, and that's the thing. Um, I was just, I saw the look on your face and it was legit concern and like you weren't going to be able to sleep or whatever. And I said, okay, this is real. And I remember telling my wife the story the next day, just telling, like, and just leading her through the full story without telling her that we, you know, um, completed the second one just telling her the story as is as i'm doing now and she, as soon as i said yeah if i look on his face she's like you, you you did it again right like she, she's like you did it again right like i'm like yeah yeah we did she goes okay good and she didn't need to hear the rest of the story she just wanted to make sure i did it again i'm like yes i did i did and it was an epic adventure um like i said just a story i'll never forget um <laughs> just there was never a night like that ever that i did podcast i mean six hours yeah, I mean, we we did that four hour one with Jeff and 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 Phil and Steve and Toby and Tanner, um, but this was just two same ones, that <laughs> the same amount of time. We're delusional. They'd be like, "Did we already talk about this?" And we, well, we just talked about it anyway. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So, um, so what do you guys think about next year? You, um, I, I know again, Brian, I know you're out, but Dylan, what do you think about, um, I know we, we mentioned the, you know, we're, we're dumb in nature and we're over correct. You think people will maybe mismanage how they draft stolen bases? Like, you think that's something that you'll see a majority of people maybe get wrong if they're not analyzing right? Like, how do you think the new environment, you know, will, will change drafting? I mean, because the 80th percentile, just it's crazy when I'm just looking at it. And um, in the main, you know, it was 121 in 2021, and then 129 last year, and then this year was 186. <laughs> it just changes everything uh it's so wild that's 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 such a big jump you know in the era we see went from three two last year to three um sorry that's that that's actually a 90 percentile but even that's like three two one to 3.7 that's a huge jump that's a half a run so things have changed um closers are now all of a sudden these concrete uh <laughs> you know that's another thing we'll probably you know just because of what's going to happen next year, well, overdraft, probably, possibly. I don't know. But what do you think about the lay of the land next year? Early, early thoughts on that. I mean, I don't know. It's a great question. I think, like, for me, we needed stolen bases in this particular, uh, for this particular team, and it always felt mm -hmm. like there was an option. Like you could get G1 Bay or Jacob Young or Tyler Fitzgerald or someone yeah. who's going to like get some stolen bases. So, like, I think some people think I don't need to draft it, maybe, and target it because I can get it somewhere. Um, and then I think others will be like, well, I can't get the guy who only gets 15 stolen bases because I need 40. I don't want to, I need to get, you know, Nico Horner's 46 or whatever it is because I can't just build a team that's competitive with, like, 15, 15, 15, 15, or whatever it is. I don't know. So, I actually don't know <laughs> how it's going to yeah. shake out. Yeah. I haven't really looked at the like the distribution of stolen bases if it's top heavy or like con consolidated in a bunch of right. like only 20 players or whatever like this final month kind of took a lot out of me um mm -hmm. but i think it's definitely going to change in some way i think we're going to see a some some curious drafting that if you know in, you went into a coma in 2021 and woke up and then saw the drafting for 2024 you'd be like whoa what's happening here yeah yeah um <laughs> But uh, I, I couldn't tell you what it's going to yeah. be. I, I actually don't know what I think it'll be. What, what are you seeing in the these early these early drafts, like closers um, and, and stole bases? Yeah, I mean, you know, in the one we started this first seven rounds, the two early meatball, and we did it August. We're resuming tomorrow, actually, in slow draft form, and then we'll probably do some kind of live um, thing one night, uh, just doing a couple rounds. But um, yeah, I mean, closers went really early. Um, super aggressive on that. I actually was one that I think I'm the only one without a closer in those first seven rounds. So that's going to be interesting to see how I can uh, do after that. But it's the first one, so you know. Um, but so what's the premise there? Is that that closers are holding their job, and so you know you get one, and yeah. you know you're okay. Okay, right. There was so much less turnover this year, right? And it was less available on Fab. I know this is draft champion still, but. Um, I think that, you know, um, I don't know. I think it might be a little bit of overcorrection and a little bit fluky. 
Um, there are some, I think, decent guys that could be like the next Durans, like in that range, and next Seawalls at the 150, 160 range. You know, we can expect, I think, I think that was a good pocket this year. I think um, the second pocket wasn't great, like one to 140 maybe, but I think after that was some, some good hits. Um, I don't know. Um, I I'm probably gonna be on on both sides of the extremes. I think in draft champions, either getting, you know, like one anchor and then trying to get a second one before pick, you know, like in that 160 range by that, or just be completely opposite of it and maybe go for two guys like um, in this year's range, like in the two, I think like the 250s. Um, maybe, uh, hold on, I'm bringing it right now, but like the, I think there was Finnegan, um, there was Finnegan at 227 in eight, um, draft champions this year. And, uh, who else was there? Carlos Estevez. Carlos Estevez was there. Evan Phillips was there at 239. And again, that's mm. just a guy who's like great skills and ended up getting more shot than we thought we were, but so I think I'm going to be opposite opposite end. I'll probably diversify in in my builds. You know, have go early in a couple, and you know. But the question is, how early? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't I mean, want to go second round the- for uh, a Diaz or you know Classe. I know he's still got a load of saves, but doesn't look like he's going to be you know helping you out much in strikeouts with some of the you know the closest that can add that strikeout compartment to it. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I would just ask, is there anything fundamentally that's make them closers more uh, bankable this year? Like where there just fewer timeshares. Is that one of the things? Um, I mean, it's not, or just guys just happen to perform, you know, if it's just like there wasn't some like fundamental change in what made those closers more reliable, then, you know, I, I think this year, I think that this year the common frame was, you know, get an anchor and then try to like get something later. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think some, some people might be running on the narrative of, oh, managers have changed. You know, usage has changed. So therefore, these guys might be also more bankable just in, in their roles, not just changing so much, you know? Um, I don't know. I've I've seen that discussion a couple of times on Twitter, and it's interesting to see that some of the yeah. thoughts are like yeah. actually, you know. But um, I mean, I think yeah. I think we thought coming in the year that 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 Seattle could be more of a of a two man shop, and that Philadelphia could be three guys, the Cubs could be three guys again, maybe even the Marlins, you know. And those all guys all kind of settled in around one eventually. I remember speculating on the Cubs situation, and, and then it being a bit dicey and then they finally got Azalea. that was it you know um, you were a former guy and and boxberger had former boxberger yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and then i had lighter jr i had the all three box. of those guys yeah yeah the box baby the box. i mean the box was it was short-lived but uh yeah it was more like mike Mar- when i got mark lighter jr i was like yeah i felt pretty strong but um yeah i just would want to go back and look right. at like what, yeah. how, many, how many committees were there last year I mean, you know, again, 2022, and then kind of compare that to what it was. And if those were like some managerial changes, then yeah, maybe mm-hmm. just, I mean, yeah, feel a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, I think to maybe, you know, more of the top guys, 
kind of hit this year. I mean, Diaz got hurt physically, you know, before he had a chance to do anything. But, you know, Klotze, Bednar was not, again, I like that 120 range, right? Doval, Diaz, Devin Williams, Romano, Stewart, Hader, Cuesta, they're all top save guys. Presley, Batista, Estevez, Jansen, Finnegan, Duran. These are all top 200 picks, right? Two, 240 that were just really good. So I think, I don't know. But there was some at the back end too. Like the Alzale was, I guess he was the biggest one that emerged, right? Just given his overall skill set too. Um, him, Will Smith was another guy that just kind of popped in. But I don't know. I think the guys up top were a lot, you know, they returned what you wanted from them. And I think, you know, m- m- drafters might be inclined to be like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, um, I'm going to follow that trend. Well, it could just be a, such a fluky year that all those, the top yeah. 12 guys did what they should have, you know, a barring injury. Um, so that's my early thing with saves speed. Yeah, I think that um, again, I haven't dove into the, the actual player pool too much yet. Uh, i trying to just focus on the, like the format stuff. kind of want to understand what some of the better teams did and uh, the trends and, you know, the, the percentiles, the correlation of, of the stat to overall stats. And, um, but I think I'm just going to try to find that same pocket in that 200 range um, or wherever, you know, wherever my sheet shows me, I should go like the pockets that Brian was talking about to try to get speed. Like I said, just, just getting, getting a ton of Kim and stocks and DCs. Ah, it's just it's so nice to have, <laughs> you know, um, Actually, you know, my my team that came second overall um, pulled off a, a pretty impressive feat. You know, I I have to say, almost as almost as impressive as Ronald Acuna's um, season this this year. But I was the only team in draft champions to go 300, 300, 300 homers, three stolen, three hundred stolen bases, three eleven. I don't even know three eleven on both, but three hundred and eleven stolen bases. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Is that crazy? Mm-hmm. I would never, and and that's just uh, Acuna, you know, that's Acuna, um, Carol. That was a Carol draft for me. That was, uh, do you, you have know, Wander I, Franco on that team? I have one, yep, yep, Wander on that team, and um, yeah, Acuna, Carol, Kim, Wander, Stott, <laughs> and then you know, even Steer chips in with 15, mm-hmm. and you get your Drew Waters 12, Brian Reynolds, and it's just crazy, right? It's just, um, Ed's up, but those three guys, you know, 73, 51, and 34. It's like when you actually look at that and digest it and be like, like you said, Dylan, if you just put into a coma and you woke up and you're like, what the fuck is happening? You know, is this the St. Louis Cardinals of the early 80s? It's, it's pretty nuts. Um, so, oh, yeah, and I think, uh, we, yeah, again. So just because I'm just looking at our team and like the guy who got the six most stolen bases for us is Ahmed Rosario with 10. I <laughs> just stick that up. Yeah, <laughs> a complete stark contrast to your. Team. Yeah, I know, right? It's just, it's just uh, it's nuts. And even my back end picks too, like Michael Garcia chipped in a whole bunch, and just nuts. Uh, Drew Waters, of course, my 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 favorite, one of my favorite players in the league. Uh, Drew Waters. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think I always think about. Um, I always bring up the Weimer's great article in the FTN Draft Guide last year where. He 
like points out the importance, you know, of of batting average, you know, and how much less they're available after a certain ADP, you know, that make the impact you need to volume wise. And, um, and so I think that that might kind of get understressed um, a little bit and maybe try to capitalize there early in rounds, you know, and maybe a guy like Freddie Freeman is the edge there, you know, <clears throat> where we're not thinking about it because you can get go stolen bases later. So maybe that pick makes even more sense if he's in that mix for the top eight, you know, um, I mean, 35 years old, it's 33-30 again, and be like, oh, it's bound to go down soon, is it? <laughs> Doesn't look like it. 58 doubles. Holy shit. It's a stud. We were, we were we were set up in a way that, that had a, a good batting average and good ratios, and not, I mean, if I could do it over again, like those would be the, the three categories I want to be like elite in, you know, if possible, because I think the other categories can come into the pool you know, especially when you're kind of doing like an 80th percentile, um, you know, I, I think there was, you know, people have talked about like the 80th percentile. Do you draft like with an idea of a balance all around? Like, I think that kind of mm-hmm. if you look at like the pool of, of where you're, you're going from, I was talking with somebody this uh, this weekend, I think. And it was like that pool, you know, assumes that all free agents, st- if you're 80 percent balance across the board and you do your 80th percentile projections of, among draftable players, it kind of assumes that all stats come into the pool evenly across all categories, you right. know, where like, I think that if, if that's not necessarily, um, and, and the same for positions too, right? Like I remember digressing here, but I remember thinking there were going to be some catchers, Bo Naylor, uh, Francisco Alvarez and Indy Rodriguez. I was like, I wouldn't mind keeping like that, that this year, maybe even having a little time to be like, there might be some catchers that come into the pool versus previous years. But going back to the stats is like, you know, those stats just seem to, again, we go with the assumption that everything's going to come in, but like, I think it just seems like if you're trying to track down Rob, I know you've struggled with home runs last year, but like we struggled with home runs, we struggled with stolen bases, but it still felt like if I had to struggle with anything, those were the the things that to, to need. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think it's pretty fascinating too, that um, in the DCs, at least the, 80th percentile for at bats was 73.16 in 2021, 73.65 in 2022, and this year was 75.17. So up over 150 ABs. Mm. That's huge. Um, what do you think that is? Do you think it's people being smarter and and allocating, deploying their players, or is it like managers sticking with guys and not platooning, like real real life managers? I think that's a great question, and honestly, I felt like the general public did better with ADP this season. It seemed like it. I haven't looked into it, but it just seems like a lot more. Because, like, even Bloomfield, right, always posts the, always tweets about, you know, that 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 first round thing. You know, like, what is it, Brian? Like, thirty percent of the players return like their value, right? Their first round value or something like that. And he always mm-hmm. does that thing where, you know pick the guy that comes, you know, out of nowhere and will be in that. But this year it was like the best percentage ever. Um, And I feel like that's maybe part of it. I don't know. Maybe it's a factor. I don't know how big of it, but that's, that's big. Or maybe people just really, you know, locked into the maximizing thing too. Right. Um, Make, make 106 moves in a main like Phil does, you know, um <laughs> right i don't know what do you think you think b 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I do think that people yeah. are getting more on the maximizing thing, right? Yeah, 100%. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like, I think that, uh, yeah, it's just getting sharper. It's getting harder. The guys that are like popping on like Raz or like any weekly projection, those you see like common themes. You can kind of tell where some guys are at in terms of, of whether or not they're following it, you know? Um, getting the plate appearances. Yeah, people not people realize that, that yeah, that plate appearances are key. And um, yeah, I, I don't know how that's happening though. But I mean, I do feel like more leagues are more active than they used to be, you know, five years yep. ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, without a doubt. That, that there's so many, and that's what opened up my eyes too in the Discord, in the Polio Patreon Discord. It's realized, like, I know there's so many smart people in this space, but then you, again, you know, we're always talking process and what we like to do, we'll keep track of, and just, like, man, every day I read something, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. Like, there's <laughs> everyone so smart out uh, there, you know? Um, you can shout out to the pole hitter, the Meatball Mafia, um, mm. rolled it in this year. Talk to me. Talk to me. You guys want to take a stab? How much the members of my Patreon, the Paul Hero Patreon, raked in this year in NFBC earnings? Like complete, totally the sum of their their earnings. The, the yeah, a roundabout sum of their earnings. I did as best as I could with Match and Excel. I'm not good at it. I'll go first. I'll say uh, say half a million. Half okay. a million. I don't even know what the what the prize pool is. He probably needs to know the overall yeah overall value because I'm thinking high stakes leagues. There's a I know who won the platinum, and then yeah, you just think about yeah other overall prizes. Yeah, that probably slight maybe even upwards of a million. I'll say five hundred thousand and one. Oh, the old price is right. This guy, this guy, Dylan wins. I wouldn't have said that high, but wow, amazing. One point one point eight million. Whoa! All right, what? it's insane. Pretty insane. Ridiculous. That is insane. Pretty smart space in there. They have to raise your prices. I think is actually what? That right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Seriously, <laughs> no. That's uh, I'm I'm pretty stoked. I'm so happy for anyone in there too, and even um, and if anyone's listening who's not a part of it, just come check it out. And the reason I think, besides everyone playing the really high stakes league, so many new NFBC players who tried main event qualifiers and they won like people who've been doing it for two or three or four years and have been doing qualifiers and they've lost one, you know, and just to see their excitement and in saying that, like this group helped me, you know, like I learned so much and like, just to see their ability to like reach where like a goal they're trying to go for. It was like, that's just as good as, you know, people winning big money leagues because you know like you said like brian everyone's getting better but to see um you know people do that and go through that because i was there once too you know and that's awesome that feel more and more people get to do that so yeah shout out to the meatball mm -hmm. mafia bringing it in i think it's like i don't really know i think it's somewhere almost maybe like 35 percent of the actual nfbc earnings baseball issue i mean and this is not just because i'm on the podcast that is my like the single in my mind the single best piece the hot corner stuff especially the, the yeah yeah the single best piece of fantasy content out there 
because it's it's so granular and it's so deep uh, for for like a fifteen teamer like myself. You know, that's yeah. all I play. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was phenomenal. I read it every morning or every whenever it came out. Thank you, man. Yeah, I got some good advice from a lot of people. Um, you know, I had some good thoughts that I wanted to put into play. If you wanted to try to take advantage of that everyday kind of aspect, because how much we're trying to uh, get knowledge. And, you know, um, he's like Jay-Z. Jeff Zimmerman was like so uh, pivotal, too, in guiding me like a great way, too, because he's like, make sure it's actionable. You know, like, uh, you don't have to tell everyone what Mike Trout did yesterday. You know, like mm. focused on the like, and that's what got me like so hard into Reese Olsen dives and, you know, um, Brandon Williamson dives, just all these things that I, I went next level with every single breakdown of those plays to try to, again, because those are the players that we're going to be bidding on that weekend or that we have to start considering to roster or considering to drop too, you know, um, those fringy guys. So, um, appreciate that it's like it got me so much better it got me into such a good process and um like i said it's just i trust myself a lot more than i ever did just because um i had to had to do it every day like the process i did every day but then i was accountable for it too so it's um like not wanting to miss any anything you know <laughs> you could probably tell some mm -hmm. of, i'm like i just remember typing into some of the fab articles being like is anyone interested in this these next three bullet points <laughs> we're about mm -hmm. to bring up but like if i see it i want to note it you know so and if that's where my brain went i'll show you where it went and you can determine if <laughs> you think it's asinine or not you know it's just whatever i find and just it's fun it's fun finding things you know it's like fun finding that ryan pepio went down to the minors and changed the vertical mm -hmm. release point mm -hmm. changes ball percentage like over three or four games. And I was like, this is real. This seems pretty real. And that's awesome too, having this this that that stat cast data from AAA. And it's so huge, right? It's just like sometimes I'm like, man, this guy's coming up from double A. Can he just give me one game on stat cast so I can get some more uh, feed on him? But um I love it. I love all the access to information and I'm also learning to i'm trusting myself more so i have to rely on less sources and not that those other sources are bad or anything they've always driven me a good way but they're also a good website that teach you how to do all these things on your own too you know and i think that those are always the best uh pieces of content that you can find you know find good 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 analysts that aren't just telling you uh, these players but how to get there you know and then you get your process you get your own process i think it's so huge in this in this uh in this whole thing in this whole hobby we play um you know and i think that's what the the best thing about podcasting too i learned from everybody um it's you know somewhat selfish right that it's like hey let me get on these great players and you know like but um it's awesome you know i think uh, there's so many things that i've learned and uh more what not to do too and i think that's something that's also very key i think if anyone's getting into this high stakes world or just and on the nfbc and even on the lower like i said main event qualifiers whatever um just be aware of people who are constantly making mistakes in your league you know i found that out of my old job when i was a carpenter i learned more from what uh what not to do by watching people and saying that's not right that's not right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. try to identify the moves that stand out in your league 
fab moves, draft picks that make you cringe and note those because those will help you too, you know? You don't want to make those cringe picks, those cringe ads, uh, like Victor Robles for too much money. Um, but anyway, at this point, I'm just rambling. But I guess it's just it's exciting back on the back on the mic after a little hiatus. So I had a lot to say, you know, had a lot of, a lot of thoughts yeah. with with two uh, two 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 good buddy of mine here. So I appreciate you guys, um, Brian. Do anything else you want to go off your chest before uh, you know? You said you might have had some good stories. Have you told them all? I just want to make sure you get out, you know, everything you want to before um, you hang it up fantasy wise before, you know, I, before I hire you to just be like <laughs> my podcast <laughs> content manager, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think we managed to, to weave them mostly in. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and, and obviously uh, for all the content and stuff like that. And, you know, um, to Dylan too, for, like just having this experience, man. I think that it's going to be, you know, like I said earlier, it's like having that experience is, is going to be, um, was amazing. Just like, you know, from, from top to bottom, the experience of the win, you know, like in that surge was, um, super memorable and, you know, something I'll uh, always value. That's great. And so how many main event wins do you leave with in your NFBC career? Nine, 10? League titles? I think it's nine. I think it's Ooh, nine. Ooh, baby. Greg, Greg had a, a, a tweet about it or in some kind of thing. I think it was nine. Yeah. Pretty so, good. Man, that's, that's, that, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's very impressive, man. Long I, way I, from. I, mm -hmm. I aspire to get there. What's the, what's the top? 11? 12? It's Gecko. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah maybe Gecko, something like that. Something like mm -hmm. that. It was Chaw out there, Jupinka, and I think Phil is right. I don't know how many he won, but I think he's probably at 10 or something or nine at worst. Cause I think he won at least one. So I think he, I can't remember, but right around there. So how many, how many overalls was it before I came along? <laughs> <laughs> Dylan, no, no. You know what? There are some stories. Uh, yeah. Dylan would like to remind me. It, he has this way of kind of knocking you down a peg every time you're kind of feeling a little bit, you're kind of feeling yourself a little bit. He would remind me of when I drafted Kevin Pillar. This is another, yet another Kevin Pillar story. I drafted Kevin Pillar in our dispersal draft. And at the time he was like, you know, we're just texting back and forth at this time. He's like, you do know this is an OBP league, right? Question mark. And the next text was, I'll take Grayson Rodriguez. <laughs> I was like, all right, wow, never let me nice. know that down. Yeah, so he had Grayson, and then he hung him over, held him over my head, never traded him to me. So that was it. This is why I thought you were fresh meat. I mean, it was things like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this guy doesn't stand a chance. This guy's taking Kevin Pilar. I took Trey Mancini over Corey Seager, I think. Yeah. But uh, I think, I, I think, I think great. we had some memorable deals too. I mean, they were a long time ago, but I think I remember some. Oh yeah, you got me. You got. I mean, I, I look. You got you know, me too, of, bro. You gave me fucking of, Manoa. No, no, no. I did not. No, I did not. No, I, did. I, I, uh, I gave you Giolito. But yeah, I think that you look. You just like, you, you just do it volume. You know, what I mean, they're not necessarily you know just great calls. And I don't like come at this with like a, I'm trying to win like the the sheer the sheep uh, analogy, right, or metaphor, whatever it is. It's like you just you, you try to get like what you think are small edges on each deal. And like mm -hmm. maybe I can turn some of these guys maybe for more. I'm not like just going with these crazy offers like Dylan. 
Like I'm just, you know, I'm trying to just like kind of just volume my way through it and maybe get little small edges and realizing that it's going to sting on a certain number, uh, you know, deals. Um, but yeah, I gave you, I thought I was getting pretty close. I did win this year or that, that year. So it, it does help uh, ease the pain, but I gave you Julio Rodriguez, Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, for, uh, yeah, I remember Keston Hira, Aaron Nola, and then like some guys, you know, man, that was a, a rough one, but. But yeah, kind of just plowed through it. Were you just trying to be nice to me because I was like new to Dynasty and shit? No, I thought I got a great deal. Honestly, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. I mean, it it was tough trading both those guys, but yeah, uh, I was like, oh yeah, these guys are gonna really help me. So, um, sweet. Yeah. Well, it's um, pleasure to have you guys on, and I hope I hope uh, you know we're gonna miss you in in the league. We're gonna miss seeing your name up there, but. Um, Dylan, are you going to be now competing by yourself? Uh, you know what? I actually don't know. I th- like okay. I said, this this thing took a lot out of me. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's hard to because it w- it was looking pretty bleak there for a while, for a couple weeks, and then uh, it was just like the idea of like it being taken from us. And like I said, I didn't want to lose it for this guy. Um, that uh, you know, the idea of just like embarking on it on my own is just I don't I don't even know if I can want to look at another spreadsheet again um and just the experience as brian said like it was just it's a once in a lifetime thing and you have someone to share it with and uh just to to do it differently it's just gonna feel different um so yeah i haven't decided yet i don't know i mean i i i guess i have to yeah i just uh i don't know i'm not like looking forward to it i guess it's the way i feel (laughs) right now Just exuding uh, the enthusiasm funny. that one has come to expect from Dylan White. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah. I'll do it. People, but I'm not looking forward like, to it. People are drafting the right now. Yeah. People are drafting DCs right now. Dylan's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Like, people are gonna listen. Like, what did you get from the last episode of the Florida podcast? Well, the these guys won the main event overall, and one guy's retiring, and the other one doesn't <laughs> want to draft. <laughs> Some of the podcast right there. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate you guys for spending so much time with me. I love the um, getting to first one postseason. This is where usually I find my zone. Um, there's no pressures of the in season stuff hanging over us, and we can just have a blast and talk about awesome stuff in a very loose way. It's my favorite, you know, the favorite podcast that I love to do, just hanging with friends and having good discussions, learning from each other, you know awesome it's always uh it's always a pleasure appreciate you guys thanks a lot talk to you soon all right right. thanks for listening to the podcast don't be a bag of shit